Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the MinMag Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. Have you heard that one before? Well, thank you. Uh, I'm Ben Hansen. I'm joined by Kyle Hilliard. Hello, I'm searching Silent Hill on this, the PlayStation Store right now. And that's podcasting, everybody. The immediacy of this No medium. results for Silent Hill. Try another search That's word. podcasting. <laughs> Talk about the internet over the last 10 years. Uh, Jenna Garcia. Hello. If you look at the YouTube version, we all waved one by one. It was very cute. It was beautiful. Uh, Jacob Geller, welcome to the big show. Uh, please refer to me as Princess Beach. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whatever you want, man. Uh, on this very episode, we are talking about so many things. We're going to dabble just in a moose-bouche, if that's the correct phrase. Uh, talking about Suicide Squad to kill the Justice League, because Kyle's been playing a little bit. But the bulk of the show, if I may is going to be talking about the PlayStation State of Play. Uh, We just finished watching the big showcase. Expectations were scattered, a frenzy going into this thing, but I think it won a lot of us over by the end of it based on the reaction stream. You can go watch that on MinMax's YouTube channel if you want to see Jeff and Haley in there as well as Jacob and I react to that whole thing. Um, And then back half of the show, we have some great questions from the community, and we're going to be joined by Double Fine's Tim Schafer. Always friend of the show, but he's literally never been on this show. I don't think so. And so he's going to be joining us to talk about Day of the Devs, some announcements there, and then also to answer great questions from the community that they submitted over there on Patreon. So look forward to that, everybody. Um, also, here's what we're not doing on this show. We're not going to have a bad time. We're all in agreement about that. Um, we're not going to be talking about Persona 3 Reload. Not that those are connected. Um, but Persona 3, I know like Kelsey is uh, red hot on it. And we're going to be talking about that on a future episode of the MinMech Show so we can give it more airtime, more space. Also, apologies. We're not going to be talking about Tekken 8, te- te- Tekken 8 on this episode of the podcast. But to make up for it, you can win a code for Tekken 8 on PS5. All you have to do is subscribe to the MinMax Show podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a review for this show and include some way to contact you. So easiest way would be Twitter handle or Discord ID. Just leave a review on Apple Podcasts for the MinMax Show and include some way to contact you. Twitter. Discord, anything like that, and you are automatically in the running to win a code for Tekken 8 for the PS5. We'll be randomizing that and sending out a code on Monday, so thanks everybody for watching on YouTube. We appreciate it, but there is a podcast version of this show as well, and you can subscribe to it. It would help us out, and you can win a code for the brand new, so hot off the presses game, uh, Tekken 8, so you can check that out, everybody. Um, Okay, a lot to dive into for PlayStation stuff. Before we get to that, Janet, how you doing? It feels like it's been so long since we've talked. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Um, hanging out, hanging in there, yeah. making content. It's making another content. day in paradise. Do you like it? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Good. That's nice. It's nice to hear every once in a while that it is It is fun, <laughs> ultimately. Like, it's a lot of screaming about schedules and lining stuff up, and this podcast pivoted directions four times before it hit the airwaves, but it's like, it is fun to try and produce this every week. It's a fun scramble. Do you not agree, Janet? No, I agree. I was just really curious what you're going to do when ending your sentence and also taking a swig of Coca-Cola. That's, that was the time. big just <laughs> As we established, this is Ben Hansen's first podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it feels like it, man. The deep cut. Um, if I can, look, yeah. if I can pay Janet a compliment right off the we bat. We got a lot to get uh, to, Jacob. Yeah. We got a lot to get to. I, no, okay, no, never mind. Um, <laughs> I've, Please, it's all I've, it. <laughs> I've been playing Prince of Persia, uh, the new Ooh. one, the Lost Crown? Yeah. Kingdom? Yeah, okay. question mark, um, but yes, that is the title. And <laughs> I 
I have continuously just been thinking, wow, Janet was so right when she said what this game was good at. Because it Yay. was like last week on the podcast, I think y'all were talking about it maybe two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and Janet, you were just like, the platforming is shockingly good in like a way that you would not expect from this game. It's like, yeah, that I, I just keep thinking about that. And then I think, oh, yeah, Janet said exactly that. And I'm experiencing that. Yay, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, I'm surprised, Janet, um, you platinumed the game. Mm-hmm. I've heard so many other podcasts where they're talking about it, like, as it, the game gets deeper and deeper into it, they're like, Jesus Christ, this thing's hard. That seems to be a oh, big yeah. takeaway. Oh. But uh, no sweat off your back, it seems like. No, I am uh, genuinely very good at platformers, especially <laughs> 2D platformers. Really? Like, yeah, I'm really good. Like, it's going to take a lot for me to not be able to do something. Like, I played Super Meat Boy on my laptop keyboard. Like, I'm really right, okay. Good. Okay. And that feels like one <laughs> that, of those games that they probably God. gave you a warning, like, don't that play on your keyboard. It's kind of like, it, they you know absolutely what, did. Yeah. Okay. You know what a tough platformer is kind of like? I'm like those people that like really spicy food, and yeah. I'm like going for like the high level hot sauce, and I'm like, this is what I live for. That's how I am with platformers. And yeah. it's funny because it's like, I, I am, I think, pretty good at like, you know, 3D action games, you know, the Souls likes and whatever. Oh, yeah. But like I was playing Super Mario Wonder last year and thinking like, I am not good at this genre. Yeah. And it was like frequently dying on things. And it's like, it's weird to have such like a a core part of video gaming. It's like the 2D platformer, the thing that started it all and be like, I'm not good at this. For some reason, I can't make these jumps. But Prince of Persia, I think like the controls are so tight yeah. that it's like making the jumps isn't, just like landing on a platform is never hard. And I don't know what in a game sometimes makes that hard and sometimes makes it not. But in Prince of Persia, I always like I just go exactly where I want to go. It yeah. feels like it kind of controls my thought. Do you have um, some stylish action reflexes really popping in a big way for that game, too, as a, as a fan of that genre? For sure. Like the bosses, I really enjoy kind of like I think they do a good job of being like, okay, this boss is hard, but they have five attacks, you yeah. know? And if you learn all those attacks, you can learn the reaction to all of them. And, like, that's what I love. And I love the bosses in Metroid Dread and whatever. And so I'm kind of, like, surprised by the platforming and then pleased by how hard the bosses are, but in a good way. Yeah. It's funny to think of your position, Kyle, because you're, like, mm-hmm. sitting in a chair going, Ugh. No, it's funny to think of your position because you've been, like, Prince of Persia champion for, like, decades now because you yeah. left Sands of Time for, for, you know, for so long. And now it's like, hey. I still do. I know, I know, that but now it's changed. cool to Why have, like. Why are you accusing me of this? No, I think it's cool to have, like, a reboot of sorts. I know it's going back to the roots of Prince of Persia here. Do you feel that pressure of, like, well, if I want to stay Mr. Prince of Persia, I got to make sure that I'm uh, mastering this game as well now? No, I mean, I what a weird thing to ask of me i don't feel like <laughs> prince of persia defines me or anything like that what so yeah, you're not the game not champion my... of prince of persia that's your one thing dude <laughs> that is i go yeah yeah i uh, know i but i do love i i've been taking lost crown very slowly i've certainly been distracted by like a dragon it has become my we've talked about this a couple times like my workout game you know mm. and then my uh like lay in bed sometimes in play. So I think I'm only about halfway through, but I, I'm having a great time and it's, and it's not who I am, Ben. I don't know why wow. you think it is. You're more than <laughs> he's Zelda. I'm Zelda. Oh, he's yeah. Zelda. I always forget that. Um, and also apparently you're, uh, of course the one and only the master of the suicide squad. You got the little chip in your brain, dude. So again, this is, this is a taste of where we're going. Cause we're gonna be talking about suicide squad, kill the justice league in a big way. I genuinely, 
when I think of like the gaming conversations I can't wait to have on this podcast in 2024, this is one of them. Like I can't wait for a lot of us to play this thing and then talk about it next week when we can actually describe confidently our thoughts on Suicide Squad, the game that's taken so long. But you've played, what, a couple hours at this point, Kyle? Yeah, probably like two or three hours. Okay. Like played the first hour and a half, streamed it. Marcus Stewart and I were at Game Inform. We streamed it for about an hour and a half today. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, it's, it's uh, I do, I almost do want to wait to talk about it more because I don't know how I feel about it. I really don't. Like okay, okay. I... I love Rocksteady so much. I adore the Arkham games, like yeah. some of the best games ever made, period. If you want to talk about a game that uh, defines me, it's the Batman Arkham trilogy. Number one thing you got to know about Kyle. <laughs> yeah. And there is more than I expected of like playing that game where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a sequel to Arkham Knight. This is the next part of the story. Like, yeah. there are characters that are popping up. There was a character who popped up earlier today when Marcus and I were streaming that both of us were like, whoa, this is really cool. I didn't expect this character to be here in this way. Interesting. And like the game starts out in Arkham Asylum and you see like the what? familiar. Yeah, you see the familiar. Um, uh, what are they called? Force fields and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and then the and then the moment to moment gameplay is like, OK, but it is a it's a lot of wave based shooting. And yeah. I don't love that. But they are executing on it well. Okay. Like it's functionally good and like the movement is cool. So there's a lot going for it, but it's it's just the sort of looter shooter nature of it, the genre of it that yeah. I'm like butting my head up against a little bit. And again, this conversation um, doesn't count because we're gonna talk about it more next week and it's gonna be super right. informed. Strike this smart. from the record, please. But, and I did actually I played one minute of the game and it told me that it fully completed. So I guess I beat it. <laughs> there's like the weird bug or whatever. <laughs> and then they gave you twenty dollars worth of content, right? Yeah, so it was it really nice of them. <laughs> But is my arc of history correct when it comes to uh, Suicide Squad, where everyone was pessimistic, was getting more and more pessimistic, more and more pessimistic, it seemed like. Then there was like the private beta and the people playing that were secretly whispering out there being like, it's not that bad, y'all. It's not that bad. And it started to come up a little bit. Then press previews hit and IGN said, this is a steaming (laughs) pile of dog turd on my doorstep. Um, And so it went back down. And then... It seemed like now, based on early impressions, the impression is, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's starting to climb up. And so I'm wondering how far back up that hill of not that bad Suicide Squad yeah. can climb, you know? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's certainly, yeah. I think there was a little bit of a fear at a certain point of it being like a disaster. Yeah. It's not that at right. all. Right. It's really, it. there's cool characters, fun story. It's just, and and then the shooting is solid, but it's just I I think we just expect more from Rocksteady. I know I do. Sure. Like a like they they really were game changers. I think in a way with Arkham Asylum and the combat in there, where this feels a little more familiar, in a way that's a little underwhelming. But then the other elements of it are really strong. So I I definitely want to see the story through to the to the end. Okay. For sure. All right. Do we know how long that story? Is? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of my my fear is like I'm interested in the story. I want to know if they kill the Justice League or not. Um, but like, if it's if I could mainline the story in like twelve hours, that seems cool. Or but if it like by nature of it being a looter shooter living game, it's like they're doling out little pieces of the story for like thirty five hours. Like I, I just I yeah. can't yeah. do that. I I don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. And to be um, clear, I mean, we wanted to play this game. We did not get codes from WB early. We still technically nor did any reviewer. Right, right. Which yeah. is that classic thing of like, well, for people buying this game, 
it sure would be nice to have reviews on day one. So it's a bad look, WB. But then again, it's their game, it's their company. It's like, I don't blame them. Like, with the way like those previews went, like... It's the only thing they have control over. Yeah, really, right. Comes to perception. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't love it. I would, I think consumers uh, deserve to know, you know, uh, sort of critical reception of a game before they make a purchasing decision. Hero of the people, Kyle. So we'll That's talk right. about it next week a little bit more. <laughs> Let's dive into stuff um, that we do know everything about. Unless, Janet, you have a hot take, please. Um, no, it's not a hot take. I just want a quick clarification on the timeline. Previews came out before beta commentary. They actually said, hey, that NDA you signed, don't worry about it. You That's can talk true. about That's true. But there was uh, people leaking through the, the beta. Uh, like the Okay, sure. But around. just like, you know, I don't okay. know. Like, to okay. me, for timeline, I don't know how much the leaks. I guess if you want to count that, then yeah, sure. And I, I will say, too, when I think I feel like when the game was first talked about yeah i felt like i heard a lot of positivity just around the concept from the fact that it's rock steady and yeah. then i think that first chonky gameplay reveal is when people started to wonder mm, i don't know and then since then it's kind of been an ongoing conversation it's but been yeah, i'll be playing tomorrow so we'll uh, damn see. okay hey Sony State of Play. Uh, they got there and said, hey, it's going to be 40 minutes. Uh, you'll see more from Stellar Blade. Jacob Geller will squeal like an angel. Um, you'll see more of Rise of Ronin, but everything else, uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll have some PSVR 2 stuff. We'll see how it goes. Um, the overall State of Play, I thought it was um, bold to open with a big deep dive into Stellar Blade and a lot more details into that game than I was expecting in this venue and stuff like that. But overall, the show... I feel like it just kept building and building. Pacing was a little off, right? Where it's like a big chunk out of the gate and then a bunch of rapid fire trailers. And then by the end, Hideo Kojima, um, we are begging for forgiveness for everything we've ever said towards him. But there's a lot to unpack here. But uh, Jacob, what what, uh, what sings to you the most? Where do you want to start uh, with this whole thing? Look, we, we finished uh, watching the reaction stream 10 minutes before this podcast was mm-hmm. slated to start. Uh, and in that 10 minutes, I watched the Death Stranding trailer in its entirety one more time because yeah. it is 10 minutes long perfect all right uh death stranding Wait, was two. it is that are you is was it really 10 minutes yeah yeah and oh, then the geez. and then the kojima Blue stuff at like the three. end was like an additional three minutes where yep. he was just talking and then they zoomed out of the studio oh i can't wait to unpack that yeah, that's like the highlight twist. of the whole thing for we me we were in a movie studio it's all. so good it's so good all right but death stranding <laughs> two and now uh last time they revealed it they said hey it's called death stranding two working title and now we know why because the official title is death stranding two on the beach and it's coming out 2025 but all right jacob just training fan number one what uh what pops for you I, I mean, uh, there's, I think with the original Death Stranding trailers, if you think about them, like a lot of them were really specific moments from the game that like were in the game. They were not misleading trailers, but it did not really communicate. This is what the game's going to be about, because most of Death Stranding is walking with a backpack on through beautiful environments. And I think that this trailer is pretty similar in that there are some scenes that they're showing big parts of that are like probably these big kind of climactic cutscenes that you're going to get at the end of a lot of gameplay. Yeah. But like the gameplay stuff that they were showing too, I was hooting and hollering for because like now that we understand what death stranding gameplay is more or less seeing him walk through what I think is Mexico yeah. seeing like a flash flood come on. There's a part where he's like walking on, you know, like on a sand dune in a desert, like, you know, the, the America as Iceland landscape of the first game was really cool and beautiful. And I didn't get tired of it, yeah. but the idea of like 
them going so much wider with the scope of landscapes that the game is going to be set in is really exciting for yeah, me. Seeing them in a desert and all that stuff definitely definitely pops and having those environments be a little bit more dynamic. And yeah, it's taking place on the Mexican border and the UCA. It's You're leaving that world behind and Fragile's doing a lot of exposition in this trailer to try and unpack that. I'm afraid the Death Stranding well, some, is far from over. some version of Fragile, I guess, right? So this want, is what I don't I'm, know how technical we want to get here. <laughs> well, it is very odd because <laughs> first things first. Well, there's a lot to unpack in this trailer. Um, the ship, the ship is called the Magellan. Is that what we've learned here? The Magellan flies out. I trust of, you. I might. I missed that detail. Okay, but. flying out of the baby's mouth, and then when we see the characters inside the ship later. They all have like a blue tint to them. So it's like, is this all some weird inner space version of this ship? Or is this like some, uh, I don't know, hologram version of them representing when they're in the ship? Jacob, yeah, I thought again. it was some kind of simulation. I just assumed. Okay. I, yeah. I thought that they were... I, I I will probably be entirely wrong when the game comes out. I thought that they were literally small. And when they got yes. small, they also turned like grayscale. That was my read as well. Sure. Maybe. <laughs> Why not? Maybe that's the wrong way to perceive this. Uh, but that's certainly the way they're presenting stuff overall. Um, yeah, there's just when they're jumping through all those gameplay shots, just like seeing the huge ship, obviously as a Metal Gear fan is exciting. Seeing like that gigantic moon is awesome. And, oh God. And, yeah. It, it is really, it's like, you know, one, we, we go back and forth on Kojima and, you know, lots of, lots of different ways, but I feel like the thing that Death Stranding has is like every, every shot is so like visually interesting. Every character design is so kind of like, unique in a way that it doesn't it's like sure they're playing on tropes you know they're like it's like oh we got the robot samurai guy before but it's like you've never seen it doesn't feel like it's just doing a variation on a theme you know like the yoji shinkawa art direction and whatever for these games just kind of makes the design of everything look completely unlike anything else and it's like it's so exciting to just have these like montages of images and every image has like what the car is designed that way you know and it's like it's just a car it's just a car that he drives around in but like this car is weird and it's interesting <laughs> in a very specifically death stranding way yeah although there was a shot of a big goopy hand and him being attacked that was clearly tears of the kingdom rip off it's the ganon spooky hands so Shinkawa, i don't know i don't know what he's doing it's that boss in ocarina of time where you shoot <laughs> yeah. the eye so, so yeah plays the drums yeah uh janet anything stand out for you in the death stranding 2 trailer I just how much how many questions I think anything that Kojima does like when a trailer comes out like this it's like image after image that's like visceral and disturbing or really pretty like Uh that's sort of the the smattering of flavors so yeah it's just and I I feel like this this is kind of too you know speaking of going back and forth on Kojima like the thing that people end up being hot or cold on all the time where it's like, cold, I mean, this, what is this really telling us? Like, what are we even seeing here? Just a bunch of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but like the stuff's kind of evocative though, isn't it? Like that's kind of where I land on it. Like yeah. I am always very intrigued by the aesthetics and the world building, even though yes, admittedly, some of it is up for debate on how, how effective I think it is in its execution. Um, again, I have not spent significant time with that stranding. That's still on my yeah. 
backlog, so I don't have like you were streaming it a, a while ago, weren't you? I could have sworn it was like over Christmas or something. You were streaming. Uh, that was like two years ago, just for fun. I was like, what if I was yeah. the delivery man? You know, it's okay. like that's kind of like, like Santa, Santa, right? But okay. I just and I I am intrigued by the idea of it. Um, I just kind of put it down, just sake of time, kind of got away yeah. from it, but. Um, yeah, I, I'm in just, the same camp as you, Janet. Like, I feel embarrassed about it because, like, oh, I love Metal Gear, mm-hmm. and I liked same. the couple of hours that I played of this Stranding in 2019, and I just never went back to it. And I feel like this is this is the kick in the butt. This that could I be need. our new thing. This like, is, this our is new our thing, thing of the year. This could Get be Kyle's Prince Bayonetta, of Persia. Enter Sam. <laughs> exactly. Man. It only takes one, Ben. We That's only right. have to conceive this one time for <laughs> us to have achieved it. You know. Uh, no, I'm with you. It is funny. Like everyone's like, oh, Kojima. All right, enough of you with Hollywood. We get that you like Hollywood. We got it. And then this trailer opens with George Miller, director of Mad Max, as a character. We're like, this rules. Just immediately went oh, and everything you ever said. I, okay, I'm glad you said that because I was like, this guy looks real familiar. He's somebody. <laughs> I wasn't. Okay, but George Miller. And it is, it is the same thing as Guillermo del Toro, where it is not George Miller acting, but it's like George Miller's body is right. scanned in and kind of played playing the character and he has a little cute demon cat which is, is adorable the he uh, has a demon cat there's like a there's a marionette there's kind of a uh okay, well, a, a well, puppet little yeah, character yeah we should really unpack this oh by the way also there's a marionette character that's like stop motion animated apparently as an homage to Guillermo del Toro Mimir. again and, and and Mimir at the same time yeah yeah and Sam so. Sam goes to put him on his belt and he's like oh Sam not near the buttocks and <laughs> You've been done in too many games. We can't have that and Hellblade coming out so close to each other. And so now he's on the front. So it's completely different. But it is a stop <laughs> motion character in this game that again is like, okay, is are we in wacky world or is this supposed to be a tangible thing that's understandable? Like it's just yes. you know. Okay. You know what's funny is right. like I I love Kojima. I will take any trailer that invites more questions. I don't care. Like I want it. I want to be as confused as possible before I hit start on Death Stranding two. I don't mind yes. at all. Right. Yeah. But all that said, I did hit a moment when Higgs was playing guitar to attack people, where I was right. like, I think I think this might be my line. Maybe really? I too think dumb. this too is dumb. too stupid. But I saw like, that and I was like, I love video games. I wish I could tell <laughs> <Yeah>. childhood <laughs> MGS two stand me. I'm like, mm. all right, I guess. Let me puppet, tell you what Kojima's up to. The puppet, I'm like a hundred percent on board. On board on weirdly, but him soloing <laughs> away on a guitar to fight was like two is crossing into Devil May Cry I think, three I much think it's or something. Because, I don't uh, know. <laughs> Troy Baker is not cool, and it's trying whoa, so whoa. hard to make him cool. Hot take, hot, 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 hot. Sorry, I mean, Higgs. Indiana Jones Higgs is not cool. Right? It is. He looks like the crow now for some reason. <laughs> it does feel like they're trying to give him the riding treatment from Metal Gear Solid Four of like, okay, you weren't nuts yeah. about Higgs. What if he comes back and he's Robo David Bowie? Like, isn't that pretty <laughs> yeah, cool? Yeah, but the trick there was like Raiden was pretty damn cool in Metal Gear Solid 4. Mm, oh, 4 maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, if you don't think fighting something with a guitar is cool, Kyle, then I don't I don't know. I mean, right. look, in context, maybe I will love it. Maybe it's <laughs> so it all works. Yeah. I will to, weep. I will have mascara running down my face. To to recap that, Kyle, is it that it's it feels too cheesy or is it that it like what's the what's the pain I, point? Yeah, there? what's your problem, I think dude? It, I think it's cheesy without being weird. 
Like ah, I don't think it's, I think okay. maybe it's not weird. It's not a puppet. It's not like a puppet hanging from your hip. Okay. That if what if goo shot out instead of electricity? Like, is there a way to weird it that yeah, would make know. it? Well, Kyle, yeah, what if what it was, was like instead of a guitar? <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, I mean, you're forgetting. You're saying Kong Kong like, I don't know. We can work it out, Kyle. Yeah, Come we can on. figure it out. Are you forgetting that he's fighting a robot with a giant blade that seems to be the baby Star from blade. the first game making uh like baby sounds as he's fighting? Isn't that's not weird enough for you? No, that's that. That's weird. That's proper weird. Okay. I don't know. Playing guitar, playing guitar to to fight feels like uh sort of a uh you know that's an like adolescent version weird. of cool, you know? Yeah. Like okay. Okay. when I unlocked the guitar in Devil May Cry 3 in high school, I was like, "All right, this is pretty sweet." <laughs> you know? But I well, moved on. I'm a, I'm a parent now. I, I live a different mm. life. I get it. It is wild to think of you being like, "Well, I don't want to know too much about Death Stranding 2 before starting it." And this is, you know, still probably well over a year away. And this is 10 minutes of basically exposition. And it still feels yeah. like you don't know that much. I mean, That's pretty impressive. I guess I, or I, not impressive. I, it's not that I don't want to know. It's that I don't mind being confused. Sure. I, I am yeah. very adamant that I don't mind trailers fooling me and tricking me. I One thing that came up recently, because the commentary for Last of Us remaster has been being shared around a lot. Yeah. Is they discuss how they 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 fault they changed the trailer so it seemed like Joel appeared later in yeah, the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were like yeah. they were talking about how they kind of like regretted that. And I was like, oh. no, no, no. I want that. Like that I fool me as much as you want in trailers. I don't I mean, care. The, the, you know? the ride that the developers had in The Last of Us 2 is like something that yeah. no human should be subjected to. So it makes right. sense. Right. It's a different maybe a different uh, maybe not appropriate to compare it because it, it, it did cause problems for them that the, that they didn't want. But I like I just I'm all about being confused from trailers and, and being tricked. I don't they did that for Metal Gear Solid 2 and TV yeah. commercials, you know, and I was like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, they do explain in this one that you don't know a goddamn thing about Lou. Norman Reedus explains, so maybe that applies to the overall game, Kyle. You just you don't know what you're getting into, man. Well, I'm swapping a rope for a stick this time. I know that much. This <laughs> yeah, round. absolutely. So I'm ready. Uh, Jacob, the premise seems okay for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the premise. The we is. all know sure. and I I think the the idea of them going more worldwide uh, yeah. seems really neat. I it, as as corny as it is, I love the tagline being like, should we have connected? <laughs> sure. I, I think is what it is, which is like, you know, I think with uh, Death Stranding came out in 2019. Right. Yep. So like people people talking about how Kojima predicted the pandemic and whatever. I do think the idea of like, is the Internet a good thing? Not a new idea, arguably the same thing he's been working with since Metal Gear Solid 2, right. but like, I'm ready to hear more about it. I I am <laughs> down with that theme. Yeah. Um, I was so excited to see Kojima out there. Death Stranding 2, yes, look, I'll, I'll get into this one. I swear I'll get into this one and make up for everything <laughs> I've done wrong in the past. But I thought they were just still talking more about Death Stranding uh, when Herman Hulst came back out, which by the way, overall, uh, state of play, it seems like... They were highlighting Herman Hulst uh, more than they have in the past. Like, all right, here's going to be your new face of PlayStation, everybody. Here we go. Forget Jim Ryan. Um, so he came out at the end to, to talk about. I think so, too. I think he's I think he's good. He's a confident man. But he came out to talk to Kojima a little bit more. And then the way they were talking about this is very compelling, where they explained that for a long time now, Herman Hulst has been uh, begging Kojima, getting on his hands and knees and groveling for him to create... Um, a new next-generation action espionage game. Basically, it seems like they've been having a lot of 
behind the scenes uh, discussions about, hey, Kojima, can you just make a PlayStation exclusive Metal Gear? Please just go back to Metal Gear and make it. And that's what they announced, although very clearly this is a new IP, as Kojima said. This is a new next generation, so PlayStation 6, presumably, because they said they're going to work on it after Death Stranding. PlayStation 6 game that's a spiritual successor to Metal Gear Solid, which is very exciting. And then it started swerving a little bit where I was still on board this uh, crazy train, but it started uh, picking up speed where the way uh, Kojima is describing it, where he's like, look, of course this is a game. It's an interactive game, but it's also a movie at the same time in terms of the story and the script and the costume and all this stuff. And it's going to transcend the barriers between games and film. And I like working with Sony because not only do they make games, but they make movies, they make music. And so he seemed to be in a weird overlap, kind of, I want to go back and compare the exact language for how he talked about OD, that Xbox game, because that one also seemed to be one where he's like, we're blurring the boundaries between film and games. And now for his spiritual successor to Metal Gear Solid being another instance of him blurring the boundaries. Okay, I'm on board, but... This it's is gonna so be funny weird. to think about, like, that exec being like, please, can you make another game where you sneak around? I right. love sneaking <laughs> around and, like, shooting guys with tranquilizers. And he's like, yes, I hear you, a movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like- and Remedy went. Because, like, let's just, yeah. let's just get, just everyone get together at this point. Because I feel like... I mean, this More is something that Kojima's been chasing for, oh god, no. Um, but, you know, Kojima's always had that sensibility, so it isn't I, I'm curious what that means in practice, because I think as much as Kojima evokes, you know, obviously heavy cinematography, working with actors, I, I don't know, maybe, does Death Stranding 1 do like funky, like genre bending medium like stuff? Medium That's stuff. the thing, I, think, I feel like, well, go ahead, Jacob, you're the... I, I, I think the it. impressive thing about Death Stranding is how mechanically, like, sound and fleshed out it is. You know, that it is like, it is really a game with, yeah. like, good game mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, yeah, it's interesting that Kojima in this thing, he also said, like, hey, I've been working on games for 40 years, and so this project's going to be kind of a culmination of my entire career. And I think it's probably just code for going back to some Metal Gear-style thing. It's kind of going back to his roots, um, but also tying in his love of film and everything like that. And then, Kyle, like you mentioned before, like that drone shot at the end just slayed me where they were so proud of themselves for revealing we're in the Columbia Pictures lot. Isn't that cool to be in a soundstage? And now we're going to, instead of the drone flying through a bowling alley in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we got a drone to fly out the door and reveal that it's Hollywood, baby. We're here. And again, easy to mock Kojima, but I'm on board for this type of stupid nonsense. Yeah. Sure. Unlike a guitar used to fight enemies, it's dumb in the right way. Dumb in the right way. <laughs> hey, I'm pro-enemy guitar until proven otherwise. Maybe I'll eat my words in, you know, you will the regret your words hours indeed. it takes to get there. But Yeah. Uh, let's see. what uh, Kyle, what popped for you throughout the, throughout the rest of the show? What was your favorite thing? Uh, so the Silent Hill stuff was Ooh, exciting. Because yeah. um, it was like that... I, I'm sorry, I've already forgotten the name um, because we are kind of jumping right into this after the stream uh, the short message silent hill the short message the short message yeah that that started out and i was like what is this is this f is this silent hill yeah, f I what are we looking too. at here yeah and then uh, it kept going and kept going and i was like oh first person so this is like this is the the trajectory this is the post pt silent hill right and then they yep. reveal that it's like it's going to be out later today or tonight it's, it's or something out like now that. for everybody yeah yeah, yeah. 
which is very cool and interesting and exciting, and I, and I want to try that for sure. And then it was just nice to see Silent Hill 2. Yeah. Like, what is this thing going to be? And it looks it looks quite faithful, which is exciting and interesting. Yeah, it is wild to think of that idea of Konami trying to drop another PT experience of like, hey, Silent Hill is a short message, first-person horror game set in Silent Hill universe. It's out right now, everybody. I mean, very much going back to the launch of PT in the same showcase that then Kojima kind of closed out. You know, it's a weird... I wonder if he knew. I mean, he must have, cared. yeah. I don't, know. I don't know. What does he care about? It's a good question. It's like, well, can we get the drone shot? They're like, yes. He's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it seems oh, like a lot man. of self-torture in the in the trailer. Like, oh, what have I done to deserve this? And it's a lot of notes taunting that character and stuff. But we'll talk about Silent Hill, the short message, uh, a little bit more next week for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm excited but, to try it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Janet, you want to hit something? Um, I don't know if this is my like next top of the list thing, but Stellar Blade. Yeah, okay. It's They were making a big deal out of it. I was kind of surprised that it was this front and center in every which way. So I guess Sony has confidence in it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's been, um, I don't want to call it a flagship title, it's a little dramatic, but it's definitely been like at front of PlayStation marketing for some time, mm-hmm. but it's also been very quiet on it. Like it kind of rolled out and it's like, oh cool, this looks interesting. And then we hadn't heard about it for a really, really long time. So it was good to finally get the answers that like, as someone that saw that when it first dropped, like, okay, let me see a little bit more about the game and let me finally get a release date. Um, yeah, it looks just like a super solid, you know, action experience. I kind of yeah. got vibes of um, a lot of games I've enjoyed to varying levels, but like the essence, I kind of am hoping it comes together. In like a, cool a near automata, so, like, like a lot of people were referencing that, I think. In there. Yeah, near's like definitely the, a huge Nier's point. the best version of what they were. It's like, hey, if yeah. that's an automata. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, you know. I mean I I would be shocked if I mean again, like I actually haven't played near, but like it's such a high sure pedigree that I don't you know, I don't think it's necessarily gonna be hit that level, but like that um it kind of reminded me of Scarlet Nexus a bit, a game that I thought was like super solid. Yeah, I admittedly didn't oh, wow. finish it. Um in Record, a game that time. failed, <laughs> but had really cool ideas. So. <laughs> Janet, I love how often you bring up Record. Someone needs to bring it Always. up. Someone needs to yeah, just I'm run like, with that torch. It's like it's like it didn't affect everyone the way it affected me. I get you know? it. No, Which I completely is, get it. It's hard to, for me to wrap my head around, but well, here we are. Uh, um, Jacob, yeah, Seller Blade. Like you are a big Bayonetta fan, and, and you went into this thing red hot, and it wasn't until they got into the rapid fire action that it seemed like you woke up again because they did a I, lot I of lore like setup. The, not not to play marketing for Sony or Shift Up or whoever, but like I do not feel like this was the proper form of trailer that they should have chosen because like Stellar Blade, what's appealing to me is that it is a cool looking sci-fi game with fun character designs and a lot of very flashy punching and kicking and they did like an explainer of like here's what this game is and just explained really boilerplate video game ideas like there are going to be side quests and you can buy items and i was just like i don't this isn't (laughs) making me want to play the game more you know like at at the end when they started showing like cool finishers on crazy looking enemies i was like i'm back in but like I'm not I don't really care about the lore or character relationships that much like the game maybe will make me care about them. And I certainly don't care about like a kind of open world where you can do sub objectives, you know, like it just it felt like for me, they were not approaching it in the right way. But maybe it's because I'm already sold and they needed to get people who 
maybe want it to be a little more of an RPG. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think they're trying to find a new audience because the first trailer is very much like stylish action. Come here for stylish action. You know, so yeah. I'm trying to show. <laughs> they were like, so, look at this lady's butt. Uh, that was definitely yeah, the angle. That, that was, was the bullet point in the first one, I think. <laughs> that was a bullet point on the back yeah. of the, the box. Because it, it had a vibe and it kind of, people were rooting for it last time we saw Stellar Blade. Like, oh, this seems like a cool B game. You know, like Jacob yeah. even yeah. made the comparison to like Wanted Dead, which maybe would be like a C game. I don't know exactly what you want to call that thing from a couple years ago. But yeah, but it, it, it looks... Uh, uh, I don't know, kind of like a binary domain Ooh, or something. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, like there were in the PS3 generation, we got a lot of cool games about robots that kind of came and went. And like, I, I would love more of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we're getting it uh, April 26th for Stellar Blade from Shift Up, which is a Korean developer. I'm curious to see how it all comes together. Um, let's see. They announced uh, a new version of Sonic Generations now with Shadow in there. Sonic Cross Shadow Generations, of course. Uh, that's exciting for some folks out there. Foam Stars is in there. Ba, 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 ba. Uh, can we talk about Judas? Yeah, let's talk about Judas. The character or the game? Oh, uh, yeah, he betrayed Jesus. No Messed good. Up. No good, Messed very up. bad, don't do it. And Jesus totally called it, too. It was wild. Yeah, that was, <laughs> was wild. <laughs> that's like Babe Ruth pointing, the first instance of that. <laughs> it's going to be you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, this was surprising. This is Ken Levine, Ghost Story Games. This is the game that after, remember Bioshock Infinite, everybody? After that game, when Ken Levine's like, just, I need some time, I need a small team, and I'm going to work on my narrative Le- Lego experience. And now it's the year 2024, over a decade later, and... We're seeing it. This is this is it, baby. Um, I I was more into this than I thought I'd be. Like specifically, the like enemy designs were a lot weirder than I was expecting. Just weird little robots from hell jumping around and stuff. So I was into it. I don't know about the narrative stuff they were presenting, but what popped for you, yeah, Jacob? It, it reminded me of um, it reminded me of the first time I saw a trailer for We Happy Few and thought, yeah. "Wow, this looks really interesting." And then I found out that that was like a survival game and was not interested anymore. Um, but yeah, I think like if part of the legacy of Bioshock is really interesting environments with weird characters, yep. and like that seems to be there, um, you know. And so the the other part of Bioshock, the kind of societal commentary and whatever. It seems like there is some storyline about kind of mass surveillance, about kind of government control or something. Hard to say. Seems seems like a kind of fun sci-fi dystopia is yeah. basically what it's working with. And like what I saw looked, it looked interesting. You know, like I was not like, oh, another one of these, which is good. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Yeah, the animations looked a lot cooler than I thought and seeing little truck robots storm around there and stuff. And they didn't give a date. They said it's in development for PS5 and the tagline is fix what you're broke. Of course. So I'm curious to see the structure of this thing. If it is narrative Legos, like, is it going to be kind of a roguelike structure or how is is this thing? Is there anything that lends you to think that it will be narrative Legos other than that's the last thing Ken Levine said like nine years ago. Well, I, in recent interviews, he's also said, yeah, he was like, on this game, is that the game project. maker's notebook, right? Yeah. Yep. That, yeah. I listened to that and, and he was still talking about it. Like it was, that interview is funny. Cause he's like, this doesn't necessarily pertain to Judas. I'm not here to talk about Judas, right. but I still really like narrative Legos. <laughs> yeah. I think this is still that project. So we'll see how it yeah. all comes together and stuff. But um, Metro awakening VR was an exciting one. Um, that was an interesting one. I was curious to see how they're going to frame any VR stuff in here because we could certainly use a second uh, wave of enthusiasm. And no, they did not or get first. Half-Life. Or for, how dare you? You didn't answer the call <laughs> of the mountain? 
Hey, phone's say ringing. I'm rude, but they won't say I'm wrong. <laughs> All right, I played uh, that whole last game. So everyone, <laughs> I actually did enjoy Call of the Mountain, but I didn't finish it, yeah. which is also damning. And I did finish it, and I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, honestly, I wish I was you. Like, is that toxic? I'm sorry. Uh, no, but everyone is screaming like, "Look, we'll get a PSVR two when you bring Half Life Alex to it." And then Sony said. What if we gave you a Metro game that looks a lot like Half-Life Alex? And the world said, eh, maybe. We'll see. We'll see how it turns out. <laughs> Metro this is cool. Uh, Metro's cool, no doubt. Uh, the the PC Gamer article on this, uh, I'm not sure exactly what they're quoting, but they say it's a story-driven VR adventure where you turn into a supernatural being while you look for your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hell, That's good. yeah. Uh it is not an exclusive. Uh, MetaQuest just tweeted about it. It's coming to MetaQuest in 2024 as well, um, which is, you know, I, again, we don't need to be business people, but it's like, I feel like you could use an exclusive like this for PSVR 2 at this point, but sure, it seems it seems well done. It's in collaboration with Deep Silver um, coming to 2024 for a new Metro game, Janet. Are you going to play it? No, it's just too scary for yeah. me. Like, oh, to okay. do, like Metro regular, like, Playing Metro Exodus, the only Metro game I've played, like that game's kind of scary. And the thought of doing that in VR, absolutely not. Yep. Yep. I get it. Um, but it is it is a really cool concept because the Metro yes. games have to do so much with like masks and like wiping your mask. Yeah. It's like that seems cool in VR. Fog us up, dude. Speaking of fog, <laughs> uh, until dawn. Was that the tagline for Metro? Fog us up, I dude. I think <laughs> it was. Um, but uh, until dawn is coming back. They're. They say remaking, it's the classic confusing Sony terminology, rebuilt and enhanced for PS4 uh, is how they're describing it. And so the, the new version of Until Dawn is going to be coming out in 2024, which may be did getting they, more hype for the movie or whatever that they also recently announced. Did they show Rami Malek at all, Mr. Robot himself? They didn't show they him, did but they... Not. They did yeah. not show him at all in that trailer. You think he's too good for this now? He doesn't want to no, lend his license I, to it again? It's a remaster of the PS4 game, right? Mm-hmm. So... I mean, I'm, he's probably still in there, but that would be weird if they recast somebody. You know? yeah. It would be really weird if actors' likenesses started expiring the way that music does, where it's like, we're remaking it. I mean, Spider-Man, the uh, Spider-Man remake, they changed what his face looked like. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. because they lost the rights to that guy, as far as I know. No. But, like, I, you know, it would be like, sorry, Norman Reedus's contract for Death Stranding was only for the next 20 years. So now now we have to change him to someone else. He slowly fades out of existence and into another face like an Animorphs um, book. Is this until Dawn's first time on PC? Yeah, right. Mm. Oh, good question. Yeah, maybe that would be a big push for them. I think you might be right. I mean, isn't that what it basically is? I mean, I guess they did maybe touch it briefly or something but it's, the, it's just a version on ps5 and pc is the big right news. right well it's rebuilt as they're confusingly explaining but is until dawn on steam i don't think so no like this is it's new to pc nice that'll be big um let's see another thing that they're really highlighting was rise of ronin which is the yeah. new team ninja game uh from the developers of wolong and neo if you recall that but this is taking place in yokohama as we all know from the like a dragon series in 1858 now um kyle is this your cup of tea rise around and what they're showing here um it looks yeah it looks cool i i i i've kind of been on board with this even before this footage yeah um and it's funny because it's not like i'm a big japanese film buff like i'm not a i haven't watched any kurosawa movies or, or anything really but i love ghost of tsushima so much okay 
Um, so now anything that's in that vein, like open world, old well, Japan. I'm saying I don't you know. know if that's an instant like, yeah, you like Ghost of Tsushima. How about this? But um, just this that was an early trailer where you saw a character like jumping from high height and like flying a little bit. Yeah, it's like and it looks good. And uh, uh, team, I always I, I almost said Ninja Theory. Team Everybody Ninja does. has been doing good stuff lately, and I liked Wo Long a lot. So it's like a lot of that stuff that's yeah. getting into my interest in this. Yeah, it is funny to look at this. Like it's a lot of people making Assassin's Creed comparisons. It's some weird fusion of Assassin's Creed, um, and Ghost of Tsushima, which I guess is already pretty Assassin's Creed in a lot of ways as well. But then with like Team Ninja's experience in the Soulsborne genre, it's like, are they going to be? pulling a little bit from Elden Ring for just having an open world, but an open world with exceptionally difficult combat. Like I think it that's a, tough. Yeah. It does seem like that's a cool needle to thread. Just, Hey, Elden Ring fans yeah, come I over here. I don't know if it's the, uh, the open world did not seem particularly Elden Ring style open to me. Yeah. It looked much more kind of a traditional open world thing, which isn't bad, but it like, I think that's what looked more Assassin's Creed to me is my guess is we are going to meet NPCs who will give us quest lines and we'll do those quests. Yeah, there's one shot that really grabbed my interest where you have like some wild wooden wingsuit thing here and you can pop it out and then <laughs> land on a horse. It's very silly. But there's one shot of him like so popping Zelda. it out. What's that? <laughs> Zelda, so Zelda. I guess. That, you know what? Yeah, everything's I mean, Zelda. it's fun every time. Like, I'll take it every time. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, but like there's one shot of him flying out over the water and then like floating over to an island i was like okay like a little emphasis on exploration here i'm more intrigued in that by that than just kind of another bloody battle um situation here from team ninja but i'm curious to see how it all comes together it's cool to see sony pushing it in a big way here yeah i do think rise of ronin looked a little bit more um unique in its identity than it has in previous trailers sure. because while i think the ghost comparison is very apt in the stances like the, the kind of the way you actually like fight to a degree i felt like this broke out a little bit more specifically with the focus on traversal, the multi-use of the grappling hook. Yep. Like, it looks like it's going to be a pretty solid game, but I think because of the difficulty, I just might not be interested in necessarily. Oh, kind of much yeah, like Wolong, where I'm like, ah, it's cool, it looks good, but I'm, I think I'm going to bounce. Yeah. And the games are like, you know, if you if you go by the, the historical period of Ghost of Tsushima, like, they are 500 years apart. Like, it's a, sure. it's a significant difference. So it's like, yeah, you're both... You're you're samurai. You're using swords, but like this game's emphasis on like guns and little gadgets and like I, honestly, I think this is kind of a more interesting historical time period because it is the the eras crashing into each other in the same way that like uh, like a dragon Ishin was, where it's like samurais are kind of becoming uh, redundant because everyone can have a gun, and so you don't need these people who are like trained to be perfect fighters anymore yeah yeah um also they showed a new dragon's dogma trailer and dragon's dogma 2 and i think it looked freaking awesome too i'm very intrigued about that thing when it it comes out which is pretty damn soon here that's march 22nd for dragon's dogma 2 um hey a lot of good stuff uh curious to hear everybody's thoughts and everything they revealed here for the big state of play um kyle i have a question for the Yes. Can you solve my riddle? The question is, do you know how this whole thing operates? Please. Puppets and missing babies? That's right. Dot com, everybody. Patreon.com slash minmax with two ends. Go there. Find a tier that works for you. Find something that's sustainable for you, and that keeps us sustainable on this end. So please go unlock a benefit over there. We're asking you to at least just check it out. 
Check out the $2 tier, whatever works for you. There's a benefit there for you, I swear it. Um, and, of course, thank you to some of our bigger supporters. I'm talking about folks like HelloFresh. Kyle, first thing I know about you, you love Prince of Persia. Second thing I know about you, you <laughs> love fresh food in your fridge. That's right. That's me. Okay. That's, uh, that's my Twitter profile. Loves Prince of Persia. Loves fresh food. Well, there we go. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and it is affordable. And of course, that is why it's America's number one meal kit. Um, you know what sucks, Jacob? Just, it's nasty. What sucks? I don't, let me tell you what sucks and is nasty. Uh, planning meals. That idea I was like, oh, what's what are we making this night? Do we have those ingredients? Imagine you've just had a bunch of bags delivered right to your doorstep, and then you crack it open. All the ingredients right there, pre-portioned, ready to cook. But you're not a baby. Like you're a cool adult that can cook their meal, but you just want a little nudge and help, and they give you the exact ingredients with the exact amount that you need to help you along the way. So if you're not a big, fat, stupid baby, check out HelloFresh, everybody. (laughs) Whether you're trying to save money, eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year yet with fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at a price you'll like, delivered right to your door. Go to to HelloFresh.com slash MinMaxFree and use the code MinMaxFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash MinMaxFree with code MinMaxFree. And, of course, thank you to our dear friends at IM8Bit. They want everybody to know this week about Day of the Devs, everybody. Day of the Devs is now a 501c3. This is their video game event uh, where they get a bunch of indie developers together to show off their games. Um, and it has shifted to becoming a 501c3, a nonprofit. It's probably a cleaner way of saying that. And so they're looking for your help. They're currently accepting donations through February 29th, and all the proceeds go towards uh, covering costs for the various events throughout the year, including the one happening this March. So there's a couple different uh, donation tiers you can check out there. Any amount helps to keep Day of the Devs around now that it's gone full nonprofit. So you can go to dayofthedevs.com for even more info about how that works. And iMapit's very involved with Day of the Devs, founding members, of course, and so you can help support them by doing that. And they help support us, of course, on the MinMax Show by giving a prize to members of the community. Whoever has the best questions submitted over there on Patreon each and every week gets a prize, thanks to iMapit. This week, whoever has the best question wins the Bear and Breakfast double vinyl soundtrack. The double vinyl for the Bear and Breakfast video game. I may, but we'll send that to you if you have the best question here today on the MinMax Show. And you can check out iMapit's wonderful online store and use the promo code LEAPFROGYEAR. LEAPFROGYEAR to get 10% off of everything under $100. I mean, that's all we could possibly say about Day of the Devs. I can't imagine saying anything else about it. So um, on that note, Kyle, you want to bow out, dude? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clap. It's been a while since I clapped. You ready? Here I I'm go. So ready. Enjoy. Bye. Tim Schaefer, everybody. Welcome to the big show. That was a little bit of an adjustment, but I feel feel better now. (laughs) Good. Yeah, thank God for getting Kyle out of here. Uh, Hey, thanks for being here, man. Um, What brings you around these parts? Thanks for having me. You know, I just got to come by and chit-chat and talk about stuff and, you know, hawk my wares. Can we we talk about... 
Can we talk about Psych Odyssey for another like three hours? Is that okay with you? Oh my god, yeah, are we still talking about that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we're kind of still obsessed. Uh, and look, this isn't just trying to kiss your ass too much, but we did have our awards thing at the end of the year last year, and the big debate was we talked about the greatest work of art in 2023, and mm. Psych Odyssey took it. Beat Barbie, oh God, beat everything I else. That's great because I'm not the creator of it. I'm just merely the victim of it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's great for two-player productions. They really they really deserve that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, you're on. I know you already met offstage, but pretend you didn't. You're on with Jacob Geller and Jenna Garcia. Hello. Good to meet you. Yeah. Uh, Tim, Day of the Devs, something we've plugged on the podcast before. We've been working with IM8Bit for, for years now, but you wanted to jump on to talk about the future of Day of the Devs? Yeah, that is something I would love to talk about just because it had a big news item happen, which is that it's now officially, uh, for those of you who don't know, Day of the Devs is a games festival, like a mostly independent games festival that we started putting on like a decade ago, just to, because there's so many indie games coming out, we really wanted to share like what we thought the best ones were, we put together this curation committee and we we highlighted the games and we made it all free, and so it's a free show to come to, it's all ages in San Francisco, it's very positive, it has music and, and food and stuff, it's very fun. Um, but it came out of Double Fine, and we work with IM8 Bit to put on this bigger and bigger show every year. And um, you know, things got you know things get more complicated as things become real. And like this is a real show now, and and it's mostly run by you know funded by sponsors. So we're like, this should really be a nonprofit. This is really structured like a nonprofit, and it's platform agnostic. It's not really like a business empire building type thing. So we took the plunge to actually make it an official uh, actual nonprofit. And it's hundred percent independent. It's not owned by double fine anymore. It's not, it's just uh, its own thing now with the board of directors and everything. So we just started a fundraising page. Uh, Day of the is the website. If you want to go, there's yeah. tiers you can get, there's a great bundle. Uh, Second last two is in the bundle. First time it's ever been bundled, but a lot of the old games from starting with broken age, the first game we had in day of the devs and a lot of um, uh, games from day of the desert. And it's a really great bundle. If you want to become a supporter, of this thing which is a really it's really a nice shot if you attended you must have attended i haven't yet janet went uh, not too long ago. yeah you did you had the one in la uh, and i attended yeah. that and yeah it was it's super fun i mean i had a blast and a half playing the they had a lot of like funky irl games like there's the one where you play like, the joy con the toilet paper and then like you get hit by a self-driving car i did i didn't get hit by the car but i did give them my data so there you go um but yeah i mean i think it's one thing I've really liked about Day of the Devs, like structurally, is I think it has one of the strongest curatorial feels. Um, and I think the tosses with the developers are some of the most like personable takes on like the kind of talking head format. So, yeah, definitely a fan. Yeah, we have uh, we have people from all over the industry at different companies to try and make sure everybody's represented and doesn't favor one platform or anything like that. And the the lead curator is Greg Rice, who you all met probably at some point, and yeah. he's he's been just loving supporting indie games his whole career. So it really is, it feels like a uh, a very handcrafted show. So anyway, that was big news for us. For now, it's a nonprofit, and uh, we're fundraising. So there you go. Is it a matter of if you don't hit the goal, the event is canceled, and indie games are no longer coming out, or like what's what's the what's the goal here for fundraising? It's on it's on the page. It's like a whole. Uh, there's many shows during the year. We have we have two big live shows now. So we have the San Francisco show, which has moved to be closer to GDC, like the, some, the Sunday before GDC. Yeah. So more people more people will be in town to be able to go to that. And then the one in LA is during the Game Awards, near the Game Awards. So people are in town for that. And then there's also the Summer Games Fest edition, which is a digital. Okay, so paying for all of those is a big does have a big goal, but we'll continue to fundraise. It's not like a Kickstarter with a big end date where it's now or never, but it's, right. we keep fundraising because we'll still go to like companies and be like, "Hey, wouldn't you like to sign a big old check and put your logo on this banner and 
<laughs> be a supporter. So, so all different tiers for individuals too. And you can get socks. Let me point that out. You, if you bid at the, at the, as you say about your Patreon, a certain Patreon level, if you bid at a certain <laughs> level, there's socks in it for you. Okay, Animal. that's pretty good. Not too bad. So Tim, the way this works is we read off a bunch of community questions and the number one community question, you have to remember which one made the show better. Objectively, this question made the show better. Remember which one is the best. And then they win a prize from uh, our friends at I8Bit. So remember dearly. Okay, Graham Walker writes in with a hard-hitting one if you're sitting down, Tim. Okay. Uh, Tim, particularly, as a massive Atari fan over the years, even making an appearance on Atari 50, what do you consider to be the best Atari game of all time? That's interesting. Look, can you see on my camera? This is my Atari setup right here. You can barely build all Atari cards. Perfect. And there's my little uh, heavy sixer down there. All right, that's for later. I'm playing, I happen to be playing Time Pilot right now, so mm. there you go. Time Pilot. Anyway, nerdy old man game talk. <laughs> right. um, I love, um, is it on the Atari 2600, I like uh, Hero, H-E-R-O. Okay. Kind of cave, cave exploration rescue game. And Frostbite and Enduro. And those are some of my favorites. The Spider Fighter might be my favorite. Okay. Uh, great games but adventure i think adventure was the one that went out in the day those are all recent discoveries believe it or not but like uh when i was a, a kid the adventure cartridge by warren rubber that really probably got me into like oh i'm gonna make adventure games where you run around and explore rooms and stuff um because I, I i got that home and i i started playing without reading the instructions and i was so lost and confused and i just love that feeling and i was like i'm gonna make games that people feel lost and confused in that's perfect and now it's just got like a comfort food for you to go back and play those old games yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, it's a COVID thing. I think during quarantine, you know, we all got into some little hobby and you had like a, your eBay save search for like, you know, I never did play that one game. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, so I got way into it. Now they sit there. They're actually like Facebook groups where people have high score contests with these old games. And I'm like, yeah, I'm posting my score on that. I got to, I got to, I got to do my practice this week. So <laughs> that does seem fun. Everyone a time pilot. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen like, you know, Atari's like reimagining some of their old games or making like a new Lunar Lander? Uh, Lunar, Lunar Lander yeah. Beyond from like the team that made Chris Tales, which is that RPG <laughs> from a couple years ago. That was good. So it's like they're they're getting good teams to make new versions of old Atari stuff, yeah. which is kind of cool. That's uh, an interesting thing because I think for a lot of people my age, like Atari is a special place, right? But it's yeah. like, could it be rest- Could it ever mean that again? It's kind of a tricky problem, like because some things can't ever mean what they meant. Even like your favorite band from thirty years ago gets back together. It's like, can they really like make you feel like that you felt because you discovered it then? You were a different person then, and so. It's a tricky situation, but now they have, uh, you know, Mike Micah on their side. Yeah. So I feel like they can do anything. Mike's the best. So I figured <laughs> if anyone's going to figure that out, it's Mike. Yeah, that's true. Um, do you ever play Zybots in the arcade? On the, I feel like they had that on the Atari Lynx. Oh, did they? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just found it on arcade recently. Like that game blew my mind. It's kind of the. Is that the one you pop down a hallway like Ultima? Yep. The, yeah, yep. Yeah, it's yeah, like a weird yeah. sci fi version of Gauntlet, but it's like Over third person in co op. Yeah. It's, a, it's the best co op shooter until Gears of War came along, I think. Yeah. But that game was. I feel like we're awesome. embarrassing ourselves in front of the young people. I feel oh, self conscious talking about this sorry. stuff. Like, mostly because it worked. People are always telling me how old I am because I make a reference to things that <laughs> they're like, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Zybots, what are you talking? Why are you talking about Zybots? No one can. Anyway, uh, see what oh, they've done to me? I gotta fair, hang out with fair. older people. Graham Walker <laughs> also uh, wrote in to say, also, Tim, on top of the Atari stuff, could you please bring Psychonauts to Switch? 
Uh, let me put that on my list. Okay. I'll put that on my list of things to do. Okay. Done. But it's like super yeah. easy, right? You just like hit the switch button. There's a export. toggle, I think, in the engine that you just enable which platforms and you just turn on the Perfect. switch one. Uh, Peter, I mean, it would, yeah, it would never say never. Never say never. You heard it. <laughs> Peter Gallagher writes in. They say, hey, I saw a porcupine while skiing in Vermont this weekend. What are the coolest animals you've ever seen in the wild? That's, That's good. good luck, right? I think so. Porcupine. Yeah. <laughs> if it crosses really the path. Bad when you're falling. That's you true. Very comedic as well if you're falling. Anywhere. I don't go out into the wild. I've seen, I've been like whale watching. I've seen whales. Yeah. You know, that's pretty cool. But, you know, I live in the city. I think the coolest thing is like driving home at midnight or two in the morning and you're all by yourself on the road and a coyote walks across the street. You're Ooh, like, that's good. Yeah. what's that? Ooh, that feels weird in the city to see a coyote. Yeah, that's good. You cool don't, uh, and they howl. You hear my howling out the window too. Oh, that's the best. You don't get out there camping very often? You know, last time I camped with my daughter's school and I was like, I'm so into shopping for camping gear. Like, I love being in sports basement or whatever and like looking at tents. It's like, oh, this stuff is so cool. And then you buy it and you get in and you're going to sleep and it's nighttime and you're laying on the ground on a hill kind of. And you're like, I have a bed. Like, I have a bed in a, <laughs> in a house. I could be there. I could be sleeping inside. Why am I laying on the ground out here? This is so weird. So a lot like in theory, I love it. Yeah, I love it. I was a Boy Scout, and I love it. But in practice, it's like it's a reason we have houses. Yeah. Cold and were you a Boy Scout? No, no. I grew up in okay. the woods, but I rejected the system. <laughs> I didn't become a, a Boy uh, Scout. I am an Eagle Scout whoa, whoa. because I think you stay it forever once wow. you get it. That's like the plan. Yeah, that wow. means I fully endorse all of the BSA's positions. All right, way to go. Uh, cool. No, a I, twist. <laughs> I, uh, I did, when I was a Boy Scout, I saw baby bears like out in the oh. woods just like while we were hiking and we were like, oh, cool. Oh, wait, not yeah. cool. Because no like seeing baby see bears means like mama bear is very dangerous. Um, but that was neat. And then uh, once in uh, at college, I saw a possum on campus and I took a picture of it and I posted it to the like overheard at, you know, college Facebook page. Yeah. And it was like the most popular thing I ever did online at college. We were like, there's a possum on campus. <laughs> Who posted that? That guy rules, too. Now that I think about it. <laughs> That's so what, was your, what was your final Eagle Scout project? I built a uh, a series of compost boxes for an elementary school that are still there. I'm pretty wow. sure they held up to all the funky stuff that goes on in compost boxes. That's amazing. <laughs> That's right. They've been composting actively, <laughs> helping out, helping out school. No, Tim, I think you nailed it early on. Where I was thinking about this question a lot about the coolest animals. Yeah, I went to Alaska for my honeymoon. And seeing like killer whales in the wild, like swimming mm. next to the boats. Like, I, I don't think you can top a whale. Uh, it, mm-hmm. I think it's just the coolest creature on earth. Um, mm-hmm. Although I was in Puerto Rico recently and there are iguanas everywhere and mm-hmm. I really love lizards and I loved it. And like, I remember one time we were just like hanging out, uh, watching the sunset and this group next to us just started screaming like wild. And I was like, what is going on? And I look over there. It was just like an iguana was crawling next to him. And I was so mad at them. Like, you should be screaming in delight. Like, you're scared of this iguana. Like, this is this is a I'm gift yelling. from God. You scream in delight. You scream in delight right now. <laughs> Shift that pitch, ma'am. I love how Jacob's cat knows we're talking about animals. Like, oh, I got to, I got to. Yeah, stand this up. is a, this is the coolest animal we've ever seen. <laughs> no doubt. Pretty good nice. one. Little nose, little white nose. Look at that. Uh, Paulo, by the way, I'm not trying to out Jacob uh, too much here, but he's a big fan of you, Tim Schaefer. So you saying that his cat's a good one, I think, means a lot to him on the inside. Just so you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Great. 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 Thank you. Uh, Paulo. I'll writes save in. this clip from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if the cat's not named Raz, I don't care. Fair, the cat's name is play. Fred. Is it? 
We have trash a French Fred, Fred Bonaparte. You should say it's Fred Bonaparte. Trash it's Fred cat. Bonaparte. Trash, trash cat. <laughs> Uh, Paulo writes in, they say, if you were given the necessary funding and license to turn an IP of any type into a board game, what IP do you think you'd be looking at? Can I take Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or is that just Candyland already? <laughs> I, mm. But actually, like, managing the factory would be kind of cool. Or it would just be, the like, a really deadly version of Candyland. Because <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you have, like, deaths. No, you're right. Yeah, so it'd be, it'd be Candyland, but with permadeath. I don't think they died. I think they just got stretched and like dis- disfigured yeah. for life. Turned into yeah, no, they turned into a blueberry and then got like squeezed and they got drained. Out. Yeah, they got <laughs> drained. So they're never the same again. But they're alive. <laughs> um, no, I immediately thought of like Mad Max, but I feel like that's been really ripe. And Tim, I I can credit some of this to you, but uh, you were in the Kickstarter launch video for Dust Biters, that two player mm. uh, card game that yeah. I really really love. And like between that and Thunder Road Vendetta, which is a game I've been playing as well. That's very, you know that one too, Tim? I got the ultimate Chrome edition. Jeez, a Chrome man. Um, Like those two are so good. I feel like, all right, you can't do Mad Max better than these two tabletop games just are different versions of the theme and they both knock it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I don't like, you know, the uh, questions about IP. I'm always, I'm like, make something up new. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's always the, that's our job. Make up new things. Yeah. Would Double Fine ever make a tabletop game? There has to be a lot of fans in this I studio. mean, we get approached by that a lot, you know, especially you know, board games have been booming the last few years. And a part of me is like so, because I'm also super into board games. We have a big board game library at work and I'm like, no one's doing it but me. <laughs> but I don't have time to do it. And actually, I, you know, I had some ideas for board games and I tried to put them together and they're much harder than video games. I mean, video games, you can like, you can get pretty far with presentation and like, you know, sucking people into a world and like mechanics, you can kind of tweak it. But like, if the if player just doesn't have a way of getting that card, you need them to have. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you debug those things. And t- how do you test them? I don't know. They, they, I thought they were hard. I have a lot of respect for board game designers. Yeah. Do you have some? Do you have an idea? A, a notebook that's filled with potential board yeah. game designs, though. Yeah, more like just little moments uh, in the board game, a little setup for one tiny part of it. And like, I don't know what to do with the rest of this. I don't know. Right. Oh, Classic. that's fun. Do you have a favorite board game? Like some I love ones. Yeah, I mean, I look. I got into it um, playing with my uh, when my daughter was starting. She joined the chess club, and I was like, oh, "I'll play chess with you." And I was like, oh, "Chess is I forgot how boring this game is." And so I just started <laughs> playing like Sushi Go and stuff like that. So I love oh, playing like yeah. kind of like family, like lighter games. Like uh, there's a pirate racing one called Jamaica that I love uh, playing, and um, uh, and this uh, there's a game called Broom Service, which is about w- uh, witches delivering things. Mm, that's good. And uh, there is, I love Thunder Road. That has been a recent one they really like. Um, there's this really obscure, weird black metal one called Cave Evil that's pre-printing right now. But it's just really strange, like dudes on a map, all um, underground, lich, like necromancer type black. And all the art looks like it was drawn by your friend in high school that draws metal logos on your oh, yeah. book covers. Like Cave Evil, that's a good one. Um, nice. I love anything by Reiner Knizia. And I, uh, um, I love... Um, uh, there's let's see you're put they're like i like little light card games like nana you're played nana no from uh a uh, little from japan these little simple like like card games hard to pick my favorite though i could talk about board games all day i love arboretum and parade and um I just played five tribes the other night that's a good one there you go. go. It's too much. Yeah, it's um, too many. Yeah, speaking, cause, speaking of metal Table. here, uh, Tom Rickard wrote in. They say, hey, folks, and hey, Tim Schaefer. Uh, Tim, I want to say thank you for Brutal Legend. It introduced yeah. me to metal at a very young age and also introduced me to the concept of comedy and video games instead of just TVs and movies. 
That's impressive. Mission accomplished. Look at that. Uh, How hard was it to license all the songs for Brutal Legend soundtrack? It seems like a logistical nightmare. (laughs) I mean, for me personally, it was pretty easy because that was (laughs) that was the best example of like what a publisher can do for you because we were working with EA. Yeah. And they have a group that does that. They just have a group of people because you know they license so much music for all those sports games and racing games. And like, they just have this uh, group of people sit around, you just give them your list of music and they hunt it down and they get all these really um, strong contracts that have lasted all these years because we did, you know, our PC version and different versions of it. Uh, And they, uh, it was amazing because we have a thick, it was back in the days, like paper documents. So you'd have a paper, like it was 107 songs in that game. And we just, our wish list that we just gave them, we kept adding to it because like, yeah, yeah, sure. And kept adding to it. And, um, and we have the docs now, and for some of it, I forget which one it is, but there's there's the master rights and there's performance and songwriting, different rights. And for one of them, you have to get every member of the band or everyone who had songwriting credits on oh, it. So wow. I have this one doc that has every has Tommy Lee and everyone from Motley Crue signed it. <laughs> like, it's like, this is a really cool collection of documents. <laughs> <laughs> this document did you, should be on it, the mantle. If the publisher was doing it, did you get an idea of, like, this is really expensive? Like, to have this song in it is going to be, like, you know, you can you can have 10 of them for one of this one. Yeah, some of them. That's why some groups like some people asked for like most favored nation status, you know, so that means like whatever anybody else gets, they if it's better than what they, they get, they also get it. So like they oh, get the be- whatever deal you whatever the best deal is you give to anybody, give it to me. It's like super lazy. We so we had we had one person like that because we just oh we have to have this guy in there. Um, and then uh, we tried to get um, ACDC and they wanted like a a real a lot for every song we're like well maybe we can just do one song but no we have to give it to that other guy too oh, that's it's just the, it does add up it doesn't feel like your normal the the rank and file like songs in there were like pretty affordable for what they were and then there's just some superstars who were like i want your best deal and some of them were pretty cutthroat about it so it was interesting. There's a bit on uh, one of the commentaries on the TV show Community where they talk about, like, we we were really cheap on a lot of scenes in this episode, but that meant we got to use Roxanne. And it was like Roxanne was like a lot of the episode's budget was just the licensing that song and being able to use it. You gotta do it. Yeah. Um, I know it's a sensitive topic for you, but there was that story back when Activision was going to publish... Brutal Legend, correct me if I'm wrong, where there was a mention of like, maybe we can turn this into a licensed Guitar Hero game. And and now it's weird because you both are under the same roof, right? <laughs> like with Microsoft? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't hear a question in there. there it's question. not. Just Isn't that interesting? Like, it's weird, I, right? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so long ago. I don't think it occurred to anyone to think that was weird until you did but okay. i think so that yeah it. sure if you think about it in the right way I, right. I don't think it's that weird hey more people wrote in with real questions um an actual sad taco uh, wrote in and they said perhaps it's my laughs at jingling keys baby brain but i've been hooked on watching streamer and youtube reactions to some of my favorite scenes in video games the past couple weeks like red dead redemption 2 it's a fun dumb way to relive some moments or feelings do any of you have a favorite scene or moments in a game that you love to see others experience for the first time? Hmm. I, uh, I've been on a big Final Fantasy VII kick recently. And so you? I went back. I know, it's weird, right? And so I went back and just watched a compilation <laughs> of everybody reacting to the Honeybee Inn sequence from ah. Remake where Cloud <laughs> dresses up and dances in the dress. And like just seeing streamers experience that for the first time was perfect and then getting to relive my favorite thing is when you if you're failing the quick time event as cloud as he's doing like the world's most perfect dance um then it just cuts to Aerith in the crowd and she's like really enthusiastic and then if you start failing it she's like 
hey, like trying to be supportive, but just like half-assedly clapping. It's beautiful. Whenever anyone in my life is playing Disco Elysium, I like make them give me a play-by-play of just like, what are you doing now? What did your character do? Do you know your name yet? Um, but there's there's like a, a a potential encounter at the end of that game that is like arguably the game's like point to like it's kind of like it's all been leading up to this but it's also missable and so like whenever people are near there i'm like please tell me tell me i i hope you did i just kind of like i try to nudge them in directions before that of like make sure you do this side quest because it might pay off um and i i really want to hear them get it huh Tim, is there a moment from your games that you like scrub through to try and watch people react to or anything? I mean, there's a big twist in the middle of Broken Age, which is super fun to watch. Oh yeah, people see that just because we like it's so. I I I uh, you know I do like to put big big like big reveals in games are fun, but if anyone guesses them in advance, it's just all lost and just so that one usually like people actually can get um surprised by, which is always nice. Like I I played like um watching showing movies to my daughter you know and played i watched six Sense, and she leaned over when it started and goes is that guy and she totally guessed the end of the game like right after the started and i was like oh, right oh great right. it's like <laughs> what what are you talking about <laughs> she's no twist for her in that one uh sean mills writes in and says hey tim thank you for making my childhood full of pirate adventures and grog uh did you play return to monkey island and what did you think of it yeah, I haven't finished it yet. You know how the games, you start games, and then another one comes out, another one comes out, and then, yeah, then you have to go back. And, so I've heard. So it's still on my <laughs> list. Yeah, yeah. It's so um, I started it. It was beautiful. It was funny. You know, it was great to see that um, group of people come back together and work on it. And I think, you know, Rex's art is really pretty, and yeah. it was funny. And so it was nice to see. And I love to hear Peter's music and stuff. So Is, is it a weird right. one emotionally to jump into? Because, like, you could pick up and play any game for an hour, but you know if you play that one, it's going to be a lot of interpersonal memories and just, it's it's a lot and positive <laughs> i'd imagine but still like a lot to for your brain to process to play it right As, yeah it's so long ago you know like ni- 1990 was a long time ago let me tell you and someone someone here's like i wasn't born yet so I, <laughs> um uh it, it brings back a lot of um a lot of strange memories yeah yeah not strange memories good memories okay course, yeah. yeah for what it's worth the ending of that game i think is Freaking awesome. Hey, Tim, you should see the end of Return to Monkey Island. It's really good. Uh, <laughs> okay. 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 Ian Miller writes in. Uh, they say, hey, everybody. A couple days ago, I made an observation to my girlfriend that people take the moon for granted. Without looking at the sky, there's no way a layman can tell where it is in the sky or what phase it's in. Whatever state the moon is in, we all accept it at face value. This quickly devolved into how long... Phase value. Boom. How long do you think it would take you to notice if the moon completely disappeared? You get no outside input, no hysteria in the news, no corroborating with friends and family. How long do you legitimately think it would take you to realize that the moon was gone personally? Like a week. One week? I mean, it is gone sometimes. A lot of times you look up, it's not there. Right. So you're like, oh, it's just not there. And it's like, wait, yeah. when was the last time I saw the moon? <laughs> I think I think I would like, know where I put notice. The <laughs> I, I would notice anyone... after three days but i would not jump to the moon has disappeared that's the other thing too, like, <laughs> if no one else like, thinks the moon ah, is gone moon. i would someone probably would think, have said something exactly i would probably think um wow the environment's finally fully going to hell you know what i mean because i imagine you, like, <laughs> is the moon part like, of the i'm not a moonologist but i imagine bad things yeah. happen if the moon like disappeared or didn't explode or, i don't know you know what i mean just like, like i'm yeah. out of here Oof. 
But yeah, it's like we would notice because there'd be a tsunami like yes, immediately. But if if no one's like, oh, by the way, the moon's gone. Why would I just jump to the moon is gone? You know what I mean? So I don't I think it would take a while in that sense. Because why would friends, that be my first thing? If your friends were all in the conspiracy, if they're all like, don't let Janet know the moon's gone. <laughs> yeah, the news isn't talking about it. It's not on my for you page. Like, I, I, can, why see, would I, I can see the moon. I can see the moon from my house. It's fine. It looks good. Yeah. <laughs> it's if, just behind a building. If you stab your fingers and the moon disappeared, would there be a tidal wave on every shore of the ocean at the same time? Because the moon's just like tugging in a direction one at a time. Right. So would it just be like a plop, like spreading out? It would have to slowly ease away. Okay. Make a Jetson sound as it went, I think, yeah. Okay. Scientists, write in, please. Um, Moonologists. Only. Captain Cobblepot writes in and says, Hello, Tim. Welcome to MinMax again, and congratulations on Day of the Devs officially becoming a 501c3. Um, Does it feel bittersweet to not have to hunt for a publisher or run a crowdfunding campaign on the next Double Fine title? Oh, there's nothing. I don't miss pitching to publishers at all. That's yeah. like, that's like the worst part of the job is like, here's this thing. My whole company's future depends on it. Please like it. And um, that's a grueling experience, especially most games that we pitched. You know, I mean, of course, it, the money is always in the last place you look because you stop looking afterwards. But it always like a lot of people pass on a game before it gets picked up. And so it's really you're always counting the money in the bank and you're like, oh, gosh, here, here, yeah. so I don't miss that at all. Yeah. Uh, so nothing bittersweet about that. I do, you know, uh, no, I don't miss anything about that. It's just sweet. <laughs> it's yeah, just sweet. sweet. Um, it's all this, the sweet, none of the bitter. Is this the longest gap Double Fine's ever had between releases? No, I mean, our our first game took five years well, to make. Our sure. second game yep. took five years to make. And, <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's a stupid question. Strike that one for me. No, record. no, you're right. Because then we started making smaller games and there were years where we shipped like three things in one yeah. year. And then we, all different sizes. And then we, you know, in between. So um, it is, a, you know, we're, you know, I'm I'm working on new and secret things and we have other projects going on led by other people. And so soon, soon, soon they'll, they'll start coming. There we go. Uh, but yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Soon they'll come. Okay. Uh, no, no, go on. No. <laughs> uh, Travis and Fargo writes in, uh, who's the best movie villain of all time? You guys answer first. Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men? Ben, that was my answer. <laughs> that was. <laughs> that was. <laughs> Sorry, I like lame. Um, no, I, I, he name. immediately just, it's like, I think it's, it's like that movie is so kind of, weird and poetic and non-traditional in a lot of ways and the fact that you still have like this guy who is so evil he's like memed frequently i think speaks to the strength <laughs> of like how iconic he is memeable levels of evil you really have to go above and beyond also it's like to make um to make javier bardem uh that ugly with that haircut a challenging thing to do an incredibly attractive man i did it i certainly did it did you hear about the um... Coen Brothers getting back together and like the little sure snippet. Did. Uh, did they split up? Yeah, yeah, because they worked on, you know, um, God, I forget. Ethan made, I don't think, think it's come yet. Cowboy thing together? So that was the last movie they worked on together, yeah. And then Joel made uh, Macbeth uh, for Apple. He directed that one. And then Ethan was working on that. some other game and collab- or movie and collaborating with somebody else. But they got back together and Ethan said that their next movie is going to be extremely bloody. And that if you liked Blood <laughs> Simple, it's kind of a Going back to that era, which like is basics. Yeah, that's yeah. What, this is what happens. This is why we went back to Psychonauts because, like, you spend a lot of time trying different things, and you're like, "Remember all that love we got for that first thing we made? It's just this could go back to that super bloody." <laughs> um, 
I didn't know they had. I never heard me. They just thought they had slowed down their movie making. But I didn't know the Uncut Gems brothers broke up. I yeah, those guys are like. That's, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know why anyone let them date, but that's yeah, uncomfortable. <laughs> that's better than the plot. Uh, no, across from Chinatown. That's a good villain. Okay, Chinatown. Chinatown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad. That guy was bad. Bad Love news. Uh, Janet, you got one. Nah, what Joker? You can, from the second hey, Batman no, movie, it's hey, like so right. vanilla. Yeah, Heath Ledger's Joker. Little known villain. Oh, like, just yeah. the second one. I don't. Well, there's people in chat saying he's not actually a villain. He's actually misunderstood. <laughs> but that's why he's interesting. No, but like, yeah, like I don't, I don't think anything super poignant comes to mind. But admittedly, I feel like I just don't watch that many movies. And I don't know. I feel like a lot of stuff I've been watching recently has been like not direct villains either kind of sure. thing. Like I just watched Grave of the Fireflies for the first time. Ooh. Like. You know, it's like, I don't know. Oh, the like, shadow of nuclear war. The greatest yeah, villain ever put exactly on film. a conceptual villain. Um, also, I knew that movie was sad. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen in my entire that's life. What people, that's got, why I've never watched it. You Jesus. should watch Okay, but what well, can you handle? People it like, this is the saddest thing. You'll never be the sad before. Are you into, like, this. the sad, though? Like, do you? Uh, I mean, I don't. I mean, just everyone says it's so sad. How into like, sad are the, you, though? I mean, how, well, it's just, what's a good sad I'll have to watch it eventually. It's supposed, it's supposed to be good. It's it's amazing, but it is very... Like, I watched it... Um, see, that's a sick thing, Crowboy. I didn't end up crying during it. I don't know. I just... Nothing came out. But <laughs> it it was... I knew it'd be sad. Everyone's like, this is the saddest thing ever. And I'm like, okay, relax. Like, I was an English major. It's fine. No, it was incredibly <laughs> sad. It was so sad. 30 minutes in, I looked at the clock and I said, oh, my God, we have so much left. Jeez. And then I I finished the movie and genuinely, I turned to my partner and I'm like... I feel bad forever complaining about literally anything in my life. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? My life's actually been really great. Sorry I ever complained. But it's, it's very beautiful and it's very nice. No, I'm with you. I'm a stupid baby that doesn't like to uh, watch anything too sad. Like, I'm not really into horror movies in a big way. But then every time I go to my way, I, I feel like I really enjoy them. And this isn't a horror movie, but it's close enough. But have you guys seen that Society of the Snow movie on Netflix? Ooh, um, no. it's, is that a snow zombie movie? No, no. Yeah. It's the Miracle uh, in the Andes story. So it's like another adaptation oh, of Alive. If you remember I've that story. Alive. From I've seen the one that came out in the 90s. Yep, that was Alive, I think. That was 93 okay. for that one. Um, but again, it's like, God, I don't want to watch a movie about a team that crashes uh, in the Andes and they have to eat each other to survive. It's so brutal. But that all being said, like by the end of that movie, it's like, this movie has made me feel better about life than most media I consume. Like just for cherishing everything you got. And it's, I know this is weird to say for a movie where they, you know, uh, eat human meat off of rib cages. But one of the sweetest movies I've seen in a long time, like when literally the point of the movie is people just being like, Hey, I gotta, I will literally sacrifice my body so that you can have the energy to try and hike out of here and save everybody. Like it's, it's awesome. It's really, really good. It's from J.A. Bayona, who directed it. Um, Spanish filmmaker, but uh, he directed like The Orphanage and your favorite film, Jacob, uh, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. The real I, villains I thought, are conceptual. That's right. Yeah. I think I, I should make a movie about eating people. That's what I thought. <laughs> I have a similar thing, though, with horror movies. Like, I, I love being scared. I love scary movies and spooky movies, but sometimes horror movies are just too... It's too sad because it's sad when people die. <laughs> I, get, I get too, like, oh, that's 
Yeah, that person, like someone used to, someone loved that when I was a baby. That person, someone changed that baby's diaper and now it's dead. Like, I just see it's so sad. But you're supposed to like laugh, like especially like in a Rob Zombie movie. You're supposed to be like, ah! And I just, I just feel like a disconnect with this. But um, no. I have to remind myself they're not real. Like, it's like, oh, it's okay. Like, everyone's okay. There's it's just a story. Yeah, there were actors My, laughing on set. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, they were having fun. You're going to say something, Tim? Nope. Nope. Mm. Okay. That's enough about horror movies. No. Uh, Luca Alberti writes in. They say, hello, Tim and crew. Big fan of the Psych Odyssey documentary. Uh, Recently, because of... Is that weird, Tim, when people say, I really love the documentary more than I really love your games? Is that, are you used to that at this point? I, d- I did not hear them say that. You added that part. <laughs> they said, I love the documentary. You added more than the game. Well, when, well I'm saying when they compliment one edition. thing over the other. That seems unnecessary. Anyways, <laughs> Luca clearly writes in saying, I love the documentary. Uh, recently, because of Super Mario Brothers Wonder and the movie uh, The Boy and the Heron from Miyazaki, I've been thinking about creatives passing the torch to new generations. Seeing the documentary, it feels like Tim's writing is a massive creative endeavor, and I'm now questioning what his philosophy is about who, if anyone, to pass the baton to. Is he going to actively look for quirky writers, or is the hope that his craft will influence others? That's an interesting question. I mean, that is always... That's something I I probably need to work on more, because... uh, I did get a lot of great opportunities when I started out when Ron let Dave and I write dialogue for Monkey Island. You know, it's like we had so much free reign that I, we got to learn how to do it. Um, but I've always been very controlling about the writing. It's kind of why I like started my own company, started my own projects. It's like, I think every word of this I should be able to control. For some, And it's not that I think I'm better than anybody else. It's just that I think I have this thing of like, I think this has to go exactly like this. It's just yeah. a weird, like a mental thing. And so... Going from there to like, how do you still create opportunities for others? Usually I've done that with other projects. Like when Lee runs a project or Costume Quest or something, other people have done the writing for those games. So it's kind of, it's more just like my own games and kind of, I don't know, it's territorial. I'm just like, nope, this ha- this is how I shape things is with every word being written by me. Yeah. Um, but I think if I know from the beginning that it's going to be more collaborative, I can, you know, it's just, it's all about people and like people who have similar sensibilities or give finding opportunities for them to try it out and um, not be, not have a giant thing like Psychonauts be the thing they try it with, you know? It yeah. just it's like Psychonauts doing a game like Psychonauts and then Psychonauts two like twenty years later is like to get the tone exactly the same as the old game, I couldn't imagine doing it any other way except for being written exactly the same way by the same person. It's right. hard to. So, um, but with the new games, with new titles and stuff, it's much easier to, to give someone else a chance. But yeah, I do. I do try. I think about how to give people the same opportunities that I had, which was a, a little sandbox, a little playground to like write your own stuff. Cause the way I, the way I started, the reason I had, um, the ability to be try weird things was that I thought when we were writing Monkey Island, I thought they were going to get serious writers in to do all the like the piratey talk and have it be authentic to the Caribbean in that era or whatever. So yeah. Dave and I were just writing this like silly like talking like kind of our our uh, contemporary speech. You know, Guy Rush was like talking like we did and like joking around and being sarcastic and stuff. And Ron's like, "No, this is the this is the dialogue for the game." I was like, "What?" I'm like we already, <laughs> oh my god! And just so. Because I wasn't nervous about it, I wrote a probably funnier stuff because I was just thinking this is all going to get thrown away. So it's right. like, so uh, that's the that's opportunity you want to give someone else. I'll tell them. You that, need to, I'm going to tell yeah. them. I'm going to throw the this away, so just go for it. <laughs> and then I'm like, psych, I'm using it. It's going to be weird, though. Have you had instances where like other people in the studio write dialogue and you read it and you're like, oh, it feels like they're trying to do my voice because they're a double fine employee and they feel <laughs> like they should, but it's not quite working and they should go in their own lane? I don't know. I, I've never had that feeling. I mean, it's 
Uh, it's a very funny company. I think a lot of people, if you watch the documentary, which I, I don't know if you have been, but if you uh, get, get the time to watch the documentary, <laughs> um, this, like, I think everyone in the company is really funny. And it's, it's, so there's probably a lot of different voices that would be funny in different ways there. Yeah. Uh, did you see Boy in the Heron yet, by chance? I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to brag here. I saw it in Japan in opening week with Whoa. no English subtitles. I just happened to, I happened to be in Tokyo uh for for bit summit well i was in kyoto for bit summit and then we're on the way back we're in tokyo and like oh my god the new this is the last miyazaki movie i think it's not the last anymore but like the last miyazaki movie is opening this week in tokyo it's not gonna have subtitles let's go watch it and we just watched it, it was like imagine watching that movie it's all in japanese i don't speak japanese and we just like let it wash over us it was like it was amazing and i i felt like i understood it more and then i just recently saw it with subtitles and i was like wait I understand it much less now. Like, I was like, what, what did that heron want? Why did the heron want to... <laughs> what are the parakeets doing now? Who are they? When you, don't, when you don't know what's going on, you just kind of, it's more of an impressionistic, like you're getting all the emotions, you're getting right. on the feeling of all the scenes. You, and uh, so you fill in the gaps in ways that make sense. But then when you hear them talking, you're like, I mean, I still don't know what that par- the heron's motivation. Why did the heron want the, the boy to come to the house? Why did he want to go in there? Was he, who's he working for? Who's the heron working for? <laughs> was he working for the celestial guy or is he just working for the boy? Was he just part, some part of the manifestation of the boy's feelings? Yeah. I think it was just celestial. I feel like yeah. he's just like, it's just like a little stinker. Like the heron, the heron just well, kind of seems to be kind of a the, gremlin. Like the, yeah, he's very inspired by Dennis the Menace, I think. The theme of Passing the Torch. But how'd that have to do with the boy and the heron? Oh, because this is the last Miyazaki, Miyazaki movie. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea, yeah. like he tries to, you know, he tells him like, oh, you could rebuild the tower, like the whole tower building metaphor and all that stuff. That was... I guess the theme of the whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah, interesting. And then and Ghibli itself is like, you know, it, you, you you don't want somebody to just make movies that seem just like Miyazaki, I guess, because it would be like an imitator. You want someone else with another strong vision to like take over. And... The Juan One writes in to say, hello, Min Max. Uh, so it looks like Spec Ops The Line got delisted. And the way that 2K wrote the statement, it looks like it's not coming back. Um, so it looks like any plans for doing that for the deepest dive uh, is now officially dead. Um, yeah, thoughts on Spec Ops The Line getting delisted. Jacob, I'm sorry. It's just weird timing that we were just talking about it, and now it's suddenly, yep, pull from all stores. Look, here's here's the thing. You can you can still get that game, and now I feel like there is no, there shouldn't be any ethical problems in doing so. You know, when it's sure. like, when it is actually commercially unavailable from any source. Um, I'm not a lawmaker. I, I'm not, like, able to enforce these things one way or another, but, like, hey, man. Shouldn't feel bad about downloading it. However, you can now. Yeah. Um, I, I, it does suck. Um, it's just weird you know. that they wouldn't give like a heads up. Like, hey, two yeah, months from like, now, did it's it catch be... them by surprise? Is I, I don't, I don't understand. I also don't they never explained why, did they? Oh, they did. It's, it's music. I, mean, I, I think it's specifically the Jimi Hendrix song in it. They've got like the Star Spangled Banner. I would expect it then to be a te- just a temporary problem. Just patch that out. I would hope maybe so. Not. Yeah, maybe build up anticipation for like a remaster or something like that, and try and sync that up in some way. But who knows? That's a that would be a really weird game to get like a hey PS Five graphics Spec Ops the line now because it's like the whole the whole bit of it was like hey look it's a stupid third person shooter you love those and then they like you know surprised you by it being poignant and now i feel like the whole marketing campaign would be like the game that changed the way we talk about military shooters yeah that would be the marketing campaign you're right i don't really i don't really want to see a higher def person killed by white phosphorus i feel like 
am good on that uh, forever. <laughs> Classic gentleman. Uh, Mike Lynch writes in and says, Hey, Tim, uh, despite looking incredibly comfortable on camera in the Psych Odyssey documentary, um, is there still a part of being filmed that you have to get used to? Um, yeah, I mean, I got, the, when it first started during Broken Age, I got really, like, I went on this huge diet. I mean, it's in the documentary, too. Like, I went on this juice diet. Yeah. And I lost, like, 30 pounds because I was like... Oh, you like you never see yourself from the pro from profile until someone does a documentary where they're following you around from room to room. And I was like, oh, my God. And um, I ended up with all these health problems because of the juice diet and stuff. So the, basically documentary took years off my life. But <laughs> that, that part was uh, hard. I'm always like, you guys, <laughs> why are you filming me from that angle? But, um, you know, mostly for most of the work around the office, like it's not that I don't feel self-conscious being filmed, just having creative conversations or, you know, I don't we don't bring them in if we're doing performance reviews or anything that's touchy about someone's, you know, personal stuff. So yeah. I, I, I mostly do. We just don't you know, those guys are really good at just disappearing. We, you know, we, we are having a conversation. I told you that, that there's a thing we went backstage at um, E3 for this announcement and Microsoft, for some reason, they kicked out their own documentary crew. They had their own documentary crew and they kicked them out, but they didn't notice ours. And so, <laughs> you met him. Like Paul Owens just sits in the corner. He's totally quiet and he's still and he doesn't move. And you just like, you don't know he's there. He could be in your room right now. <laughs> any of you. He could look in the corner right now. I'm not 100% sure he's not here. We're good. So, so you don't feel any shift in your personality at this point when Duplayer just starts rolling? It's just seamless in your mind? A little bit. What what do you have to watch for? And and Penn Ward was he was on camera a little bit, and he's like, oh, I gotta just whenever the cameras on, I feel like I gotta do something funny, and like I gotta ham it up. And then right. there's a little bit of that. You feel like, oh, I better I better make this worth their while. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's too Sometimes player. when Austin would like whip the camera towards me, I was like, whoa, what the? <laughs> <laughs> and line. I gotta say something right now to make this shot awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard not to look at the camera all the time, like Jim from the office. <laughs> Is uh, is you player filming these days in the office? Are you all back in the office? Uh, well, I'm certainly back in the office. They are. They film. They still film uh, regular stuff. You know, I think they they they, so they film stuff because they don't know exactly what the project's going to be. You know what I mean? Like they're, sure. they're filming stuff and they're like, "What's the next story going to be? Is it going to be like about these little projects? Is it going to be about something else?" And then it kind of you know becomes what it becomes, and they're happy to have the footage. So they shoot everything just so they can have it. Yeah. That's ambitious, yeah. Um, okay, this is maybe uh, barking up the wrong tree. I still, I know we talked about it a lot in the interview talking about Psych Odyssey, but <laughs> I remember a big theme of yours from that interview was like, you know, we need to be more open. I don't understand why the game industry isn't more transparent. Why aren't more developers doing this? It's not that wild of a thing. There's nothing wrong with showing these conversations for how games are made. And I always just kept thinking about it and coming back to the same point of like, yeah, but nobody else is. I'm like, nobody else in the industry is doing it. So there is still some secret sauce happening in that studio for your push for transparency. And this is where I'm going out on a limb. But I, I watched um, Metallica, some kind of monster recently. I was like, I wonder if this had an influence on Tim. For I'm trying to think. Of I like, did love that movie. I did love that movie. That okay. Movie. Like I'm trying to think um, of the documentaries that you watch that really like ingrained in your brain. Like oh, just showing raw footage almost of the process is the sweetest documentary, and I need to try and support that. I mean, they. Um, let's see. I mean, why? I mean, they, a lot of it was just that there was a, a documentary crew that came to us and said they wanted to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I didn't think of it, you know, it was their idea. And I just kind of went along with it because it was all tied together for this, like, let's kick like, this brand new thing, Kickstarter. Let's try kickstarting a little game and we'll film it. And I thought it would be really short and fun and quick and easy. And, and it turned into something else. 
And people probably don't do it because it's not, they, don't, they always see, they always see documentaries as marketing assets. It's always comes out of the marketing department. Like the right. making of some big game is always from the marketing department. So of course you're like, well, we ended up cutting that feature and marketing's gonna be like, don't, why would you advertise cutting a feature? So you can't really make a real documentary that way. They're still, you know, fun to watch sometimes, but like, um, it's funny because I like, if you watch a DVD, you'll see like a making of, I, do they, I feel like maybe they get a little more honest just because people expect it to be this work of art and not treated like you're marketing a, a product as much. So, hmm. um, uh, but it also costs money because eventually, at first they were funded by the Kickstarter, but then it took so long to get the game done. They're like, uh, we're out of money. And so we had to take them on payroll. So we have these people on payroll. So that's another reason probably people don't do it, but we, you know, they, they made, um, they made themselves valuable by being kind of our AV department and helping with streaming and putting our yeah. trailers together and whenever we need cool videos and edited together, which we do a lot of, um, they would do for us. So they, they made uh, value out of, out of that and they made a documentary. Nice. And the studio is getting built. I know they said they were working on building a studio in, in the office, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It got, took a break over holidays, but it's just getting started soon. Who Sweet. knows what we'll do in there. All right. Looking forward to seeing it. Um, that's it for community questions. But Jacob and Janet, do you either either of you have hot questions for Tim here? <laughs> oh, wow. These are these are really hot questions because we yeah. didn't even talk about doing this. <laughs> no. Hey, look. So I I don't think I do. You should let me know if you watch um, Grave of the Fireflies though. Stomach it, please. <laughs> Just outside the show, circle back to me. Picture me with tears streaming down my face. Geog Janet. Can you? Can what you, kind uh, of sick wreck is it? Yeah, it's very sweet but very sad. Can you list your uh, your top three Miyazakis? Mm. Is that like I mean, picking favorite children? Yeah, I mean, I really love Spirited Away. I think that's mm. a, a big yeah. one. I, I did like Boy and the Heron a lot. I like to- um, Totoro, obviously. I mean, I don't think these are really deep, you know, shocking cuts for anybody. I like the raccoon testicle one. What's that one called? Uh, Pompoka? Yeah, I think that one. I think that one is not actually Miyazaki, which no, I learned because no, no. I was like, "Why do people talk about the one with the raccoons and the balls?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, he didn't make that one." <laughs> a lot of fun. And Richard Horowitz does one voice in it, and he's the voice of Raz. So oh, then you're fun. watching, and all of a sudden Raz talks, and you're like, "What the hell is Raz doing in this?" <laughs> so in the in the English dub, and like Capano, got his name them all. I saw. Oh, I love Castle in the Sky, and I. Uh, I, I I want to go back and watch Mononoke, but I watched the dub version first. Some people really like the dub version, but I watched the dub version. Sometimes when I watch the English dub version, I feel like I'm not really liking this movie. I don't know why. Yeah, it feels strange. It feels off. Like the um, Dawson's Creek guy does a voice in um, Castle. Right, he's in, he's in Castle in the Sky. I yeah. Think. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's he's the little panting, boy he's running. There. He's panting too much. I was like, I don't think that character pants that no, much. Castle Castle in the Sky is the one where they like. They were like American audiences. They don't like silence. We need to add more sounds. We need to add more music. And so it's like it. the American yeah. cut has like more bad soundtrack. I sense that. But I um, and then Nausicaa. I didn't even mention Nausicaa, but I, love that. Yeah. I read the, the manga, manga. Uh, and pop quiz, uh, Tim. Game of the year for twenty twenty three. 2023 is probably Tears of the Kingdom for me. I mean, I'm still playing it. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people stopped. I feel like, unlike the first game, they just kind of grabbed you and held on. Like the, the second one has all these places you can exit from, I feel like. The game kind of, the quest or something. Is, but I got back into it in different ways throughout the year. Kept coming back to it. I like Cocoon. Oh, I like yeah. puzzle games. I like yeah. little puzzle games like uh, Patrick's Parabox. Uh, yeah. Awesome for like sure. Um, yeah, probably still too. It's hard to beat Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. Do, Do you, you have the, uh, the game developer feeling on Tears of the Kingdom of like, I don't know how they made this work 
in terms of like the the mechanics and everything. And just like if you're gonna do a sequel to, to to this great one of the greatest games of all time, and you're like, well, what if it was three times as big and we added a whole new set of gameplay mechanics to it? So it's like, why did they? How did they? Didn't anyone be like, we don't need to do all this, you guys? People will play it if we just <laughs> make uh, okay. everything upside down. This is this is the hardest part of the show. Uh, we have to figure out what is the question of the week. Who submitted the best question from the community? Who gets the I'm 8-Bit prize? Oh, I was supposed to write that down. You're supposed to write down every single name. Uh, let's what see. You, what are the, what are the, what let, were the best parts let of me, the Let me um, skim. Oh, we got uh, Cool Animals. We got that, Tabletop. That's an early Vill- vote from me. Cool okay. Animals. I think Villains. Yeah, we got Villains. That's true. Uh, we got uh, The Boy and the Heron. That's certainly, that led some directions. What's that, Tim? It was taking the mood for granted. Taking the mood really for granted. That, never gotten oh, that one. The mood was good, yeah. Yep, that's true. Uh, talking about Psych Odyssey and getting used to being filmed. But, Tim, you're the guest of honor, man. You get the final call. I'm going to go with the moon. That's a that's okay. a unique one. Wow. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Ian Miller, you just got the prize yeah. from I Mape It. Thanks, Tim Schaefer. Thanks so much, yeah. everybody, for writing just in. Just because it was so off topic. Yeah, perfectly off topic. Uh, now it's time for something that we call Get a Load of This. Is there music right now? There is. Yeah. Uh, you can't hear it, but trust us, it's impeccable. As soon as we went into it, I'm like, I don't think anyone told <laughs> Tim that there was music during this one. And you can take yeah. your time. Uh, you can go last if you, if you don't have anything, Tim. You can think of something good. Um, it can be small. But uh, get a load of this. Um, I was listening to a Fresh Air interview recently, and this is one of those things that we, maybe we all learned at some point that I forgot about. But uh, they were talking about the history of LSD, and they brought up that in the 1960s, that NASA funded experiments to give LSD to dolphins in the attempt to communicate with dolphins. And this was an ongoing thing funded by NASA, which is the part that just blows my mind. There there are parts of that study that they probably did not talk about on Fresh Air because stuff got weird. Oh, no, they did talk about it. I'm just not talking about it here because it has a weird (laughs) dark ending for sure. Uh, But just a a good slice of uh, U.S. history there that's worth reflecting on for a moment. Uh, Anybody else got one they want to jump in? Uh, Get a load of this. Um, we all love The Holdovers, uh, one of the best Hell movies yeah. of last year. Um, I had the moment of uh, thinking, well, obviously, what a beautifully shot on film movie. And then learning <laughs> that it was, in fact, not shot on film, right, it was right. digital. Um, there's a really cool article in Filmmaker magazine uh, about how they made it look like it was shot on film that has like a bunch of really nerdy camera stuff in it. Um, but one of them is they talk about how like, when actual film is being pulled through a camera, it like shakes a little bit because it's it's you know it's a physical thing being pulled, and so in order to uh, replicate that, they motion tracked a sample of thirty five millimeter film and Whoa. then mapped the digital images onto that like motion tracked shaking, and so it's just there's this like imperceptible jitter that tells your brain that it's on film. That's awesome, Janet. You have one. Yeah, get a load of this. Um, the Met Museum over, like, they have a TikTok account and they do some really cool, like, behind the scenes content about things happening at the museum. Uh, there's one video that came across my page that's talking about um, Degas's, the, I'm trying to, I'm, the little 14, the sculpture known as the little 14 year old dancer, like the girl with the bow, okay, hands yeah. behind the back, all of that. And it's just talking about what it takes to do conservation on a piece like that, which includes going into, the history of the piece itself where it was like originally made with like 
human hair and like tinted beeswax and all these things that couldn't really carry through the test of time. So just the way the piece has physically changed, like kind of been layered so that's even more sculpture than it used to be, but then also trying to restore the iconic skirt of that statue or sculpture while also still trying to capture the essence of like, what were they going for at the time? And that's, you know, like largely the work of like curation in general or not curation, but like restoration. Um, And yeah, art restoration is just a really fun aspect of museums that I feel like it is very easy to not clock that. Oh man, that's totally. Of course. Yeah. They're restoring the pieces. They're not just existing like that forever. And I think it's such a fun, like I worked at a museum when I was younger and it's such an interesting blend of art and science and so many different skills melded together. So that video is awesome. And just their page in general has a lot of fun factoids like that. Sweet. Links below for all this fun stuff. Tim, zero pressure if you want to pass, but you have something to share. Well, I mean, I'm embarrassed because my, um, my, like used to have in college, a fun fact that always killed. Um, but as I was thinking about it, I was like, Oh, that's no one knows what that is anymore, and that's what's sad about getting older. So there you go. Oh, come on, uh, you got hey, hey, Here now. it is. Here it is. Uh, get a load of this. Did you know that Michael Nesmith's mother invented liquid paper? <laughs> I tell that now. People are like, "Who's Michael Nesmith, and what's liquid paper?" <laughs> no, people. But it really was interesting back then. Michael the, Nesmith played guitar for the Monkees. Oh, that's a band that used to exist. Um, and liquid paper is what you would paint over your mistakes when you typed on a typewriter. <laughs> like this is mm. the most <laughs> archaic fact now of all. It's like it's like, did you know King Tut's mother? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's uh, that Janet. Didn't you share the Jack Black's mom thing the other? Oh, week? I think that was me. Well, that was Ben. Yeah. Yeah. That okay. she worked at yeah. NASA. Why did you say it, Ben? Like you don't know for a fact it's you. Oh, I think that was me. I think actually, I, I, I claimed that, that one. That was you. That's the kind of smart thing that I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Jack I feel Black's like we were mom. all complimenting me when I said that. I yeah. have kind of a vague memory of it. Yeah, yeah no, Jack Black's mom worked at NASA and gave the LSD to Dolphins, I think, if I remember the story correctly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, from the uh, community. Oh, by the way, Tim, um, Austin Wintering, a podcast, plugged this, and I had no idea, but uh, you mentioned typewriters, made me think of it, that Brian Min, who used to work on the audio team at Double Fine, right? That yeah. he's making typewriters now for iPads, and they look freaking sweet. Yeah, he's really always been into mechanical keyboards, and he made these kind of cyberpunk-looking ones. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't seen his newest stuff, but they're probably pretty crazy. They're cool. I hope to collaborate in some way with them in the future. Anyways, uh, from the Get a Load of This channel for the community in the Discord there, everybody shares stuff all day, every day, but only interesting stuff. And Sudosis shared a link um, to a video that I completely forgot exists, but they say, I still can't believe, this is a tweet, where they say, I still can't believe that MTV used the files for the Revenge of the Sith video game to make Anakin Skywalker sing Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand to a crowd of clone troopers in, and it was a real thing that was aired on live TV. It's the most 2005 thing I've ever seen. Yeah, so these video game assets to just recreate Take Me Out in the music video, but with Anakin singing. And uh, there's a link below if you want to relive what it was like to watch MTV in 2005, because it's good times. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, letting me crash your party and talk about that documentary once again. Devs, <laughs> nonprofit, devs.com. Sorry about my headphones. No, no, that's all good. Um, yeah, okay, Day of the Devs, go there, and you can make what happen. Oh, you can find out about how to uh, get involved in the fundraising or just read about Day of the Devs and come to our next show. And if you're around for GDC in San Francisco, come to the Day of the Devs live show. It's also going to be show at the MoMA. We're going to show games there like mm. the works of art they are. Perfect. All right, link below for all that fun stuff. Uh, let's see, on the MinMax front, 
Uh, Jacob and I, speaking of video game documentaries, we're going to be covering Grounded 2 is the plan. Uh, the documentary that's coming out uh, this week. I think it's coming out on Friday about the making of The Last of Us Part 2. I'm very curious to, to watch that, see how it goes. Uh, Bonus Pod, which is our Patreon-exclusive podcast that Haley McLean hosts. This episode was a, a great one. It was Haley and Kelsey Lewin talking about Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth. A little bit more about the state of PAL world since uh, Haley is a video game IP lawyer. She has endless thoughts on that, but they're actually informed, so you should check them out. Um, and I saw, it made us laugh. There's a comment on YouTube because I made a clip of them talking about Like a Dragon, and the comment was like, this content's too good. You 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 need to show this to everybody. It's like, well, that's the goal. We're trying to make really good content so that people jump in on Patreon and unlock it every single week. So shout out to Haley McLean for uh, rocking bonus pods. So you can check that out in the bonus podcast feed. Otherwise, let's see at MinMax, um, full circle from last week. Um, remember on this podcast last week, we were joking around about yearbooks and superlatives in yearbooks, most likely to yada, yada, yada. And then I think Jacob Gallery made a joke about like, oh, new show plus, you should call up that person that you won funniest person in the class with back in 2005, Ben, and see if they're still funny. And we did that. It won the poll. And so the class clowns from 2005 reunited. It's this person, Kayla, that I'm vaguely friends with. So it was a fun trip down memory lane. And the weird thing is seeing people be like, yeah, hearing two people talk about uh, their high school experience from 20 years ago that I have no reference for is still oddly compelling. So it's the greatest compliment I could ask for. So you can check that out on YouTube or in the bonus podcast feed as well if you want a good taste of rural Minnesota high school life. Um, and it delighted me because it's been so long since I talked to her. So when I called her up, though, I was just delighted because immediately I was like, oh, that's right. She has like a thick Minnesotan accent. And I'm so glad that she does that. Like we can broadcast this to the world because it's the best. It's still related. Like when you look at someone else's yearbook, you see like, wait, I know that guy. I know that guy. We had that guy. We had that girl. Yes. Like, there's a corresponding person almost for everyone, you know, in someone else's high school. Yeah. It's like poetry. It all rhymes, man. Um, well, hey, I think that's how it works. Uh, again, reminder, thank you so much for supporting the show, everybody. You can go on Patreon and join the $50 tier if you want to become a game champion. These people are declared the official game champion of any game under the sun, but they chose these. So, Procyon number six chose Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, Bezlo chose Time Travel Adventures. Julie Wilcox is the champion of Scarlet Hollow. Malcolm Holiday is the champion of Gravity Circuit. Andre Silva is the champion of Dark Cloud. PrettyGoodPrinting.com, the champion of Lost Magic. Jessica Starr is the champion of Child of Light, and Patrick Polk once again chose Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, one of the greatest games of all time to be declared the champion of. And that's it. Tim, thanks again for joining us, man. Any thanks. wise words, any lessons we should keep in here. mind from you as we as we bow out of here? Thank you, everybody. Nice to be here. Yeah, lovely I'll come up with you. a better a better fun fact, more current. <laughs> something about Taylor Swift next time. Okay, cool. Next time. Sounds good. Alright, thanks so much, everybody. Oh, Jacob, you had something you wanted to plug, too. I'm sorry. Carrots. Something rotten podcast. Uh, it's relevant to multiple people here. A yeah. double fine employee, Harper J, was on the Something Rotten podcast talking about the end of Metal Gear Solid 2. Hell a yeah. great discussion. She is a scholar of that series. And then uh, Ben Hansen and Dan Riker were on a Nebula exclusive episode of the Something Rotten podcast talking about meeting Kojima, talking about all sorts of things. Uh, Metal Gear inspired. Uh, I talked about Antonio Gramsci. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, so listen to that. Yeah, check it out. It was, it was a something fun Something Rotten podcast. There we go. Sweet. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. That's it for this episode. Until next time, be good, have fun, let's go. Bye.